Hey, welcome to the 240th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm currently talking about 1987's Superman series written and drawn by John Byrne. So it's really cool. This is like a little bit after the Man of Steel miniseries where they kind of rebooted Superman after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Classic stories, classic art. It's just really, really good fun times. Um, so I'm probably going to continue that this week. Um, and after that, next week, I'm not really sure. So I need to think about that and I'm open to suggestions. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. What is going on this week? Um, so kind of a, as you may have noticed, um, normally the movie is the, the main feature each month, but I'm actually going with the TV show as the main feature. For two reasons. One, because it's Moon Knight. And you probably know I absolutely love Moon Knight. I have like this deep burning passion for Moon Knight, which is uh, going to make, make uh, talking about this first episode a little interesting. So stay tuned for that. Uh, the second reason why the movie is not the main feature is <laughs> because it was Morbius. <laughs> oh, I have things to say about Morbius. Uh, so, um, it was it was a it was a okay it was fine, <laughs> but but uh, and then what else do we have we have the season finale of Snowpiercer, um, that was it that's our first because last week was season finale of, of Servant, and this week we have to Flash to find out who's leveling up this week, uh, Superman Lois Severance which um, I love that show have I mentioned that, uh, Star Trek Picard was was interesting and. Um, I think that's it. That's everything. So let's let's jump to the news. So maybe maybe sad news. Not really. Is it not slightly? Obi Wan Kenobi is being pushed back two days. <laughs> so only two days. That that's fine. It's instead of the twenty fifth, which is like the magical Star Wars day. You know whatever. It's being pushed to May twenty seventh. No reason why. I believe I could be wrong, but I think there's a Star Wars celebration that weekend. So I'm betting that that Friday there'll be like a Obi Wan panel. Will maybe Ewan McGregor will be there? Maybe not. But they'll probably like at least show like the first episode. Maybe they'll show both episodes. I don't know if they would do that much. That's probably what they're gonna do. So that's the thing. Um, they're also gonna drop two episodes at once. That's cool. The downside for me, it's on a friggin' Friday, and Friday is when I'm trying to wrap everything up and you know get ready to record the podcast and everything. So now that's gonna get a little crooked, but uh, we'll figure it out because I I I don't want to delay that. That's why I liked having the Star Wars show and the Marvel shows on Wednesdays. You know, whatever Disney, they don't listen. They 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 do what they want to do, right? And then speaking of Obi Wan, so Joel. Edgerton, so I think that's who's playing uh, Uncle Owen. He's going to star in an Apple TV 
I don't know if, if it's a movie or a series. Dark Matter. <laughs> I should I should know more about this, right? So Dark Matter. I haven't heard of these. I, and again, when I read the news, it sounded like that there was more than one book. Uh, it sounds interesting. So basically, it's a physicist, and it involves a physicist visiting uh, parallel realities. I think it was something like he didn't have it was like 15 he waited 15 years to have, start a family or have kids or so it's parallel universes alternate so of, of course um i gotta look into this and i'm really curious you know if this is based off an is it a successful novel that everyone except for me has read i i'm gonna have to see if they're available on audible if, if there's more than one and, and check those out uh so that, that sounds cool and and i think I think I <laughs> what's going on with me. I think I heard that you know that this is something that people were kind of fighting, like pushing for this, and then I don't know if Sony was involved trying to get rights, and then Apple. I I don't know, but maybe people are excited about this. I'm excited, and I know like virtually nothing about it, so there is no release date yet. But they're gonna start doing that, so we'll have to see. Because I don't I don't know if I've seen Joel Edgerton and anything else. I mean, maybe I I have. Um, and just not really notice or paid attention. Maybe, you know, maybe he wasn't wearing like the tattooing dress attire, whatever. So maybe I, I just just totally totally missed that. Um, one thing I want to mention: I when I talked about the the CW shows getting renewed last week, I think I mentioned my concern that there. Were, I don't know, remember if I said that or not. <laughs> maybe I, I edited it out. But you know, it was interesting that there is nothing mentioned about some of the other shows that are getting renewed. You know, we know the Flashes and Superman Lois and I think I said Riverdale and some other stuff. But, like, what about Legends of Tomorrow? That wasn't mentioned. Batwoman, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how many people are watching it. May, hopefully people are watching it. That wasn't mentioned. And Stargirl wasn't mentioned. So I was like, wait, what? Stargirl's not mentioned? Is it because this guy, no, Rich, refuses to watch the show for whatever reason? I, I don't know. But after I recorded that, I I told I was like, Tony, it's already it's been renewed for the third season, like before the second season even started. Uh, like, what are you talking about? Because I talked to myself like that. And so yeah, there's a there is a third season, obviously, duh, coming. I don't know when, but they did announce this week that Tim Gabriel has been cast as Obsidian. So, you know, because we have Jade, we've had Jade this second season, if you've watched it, which is really good. So we're going to get to see Obsidian. So so that, that's that's pretty cool. Other thing that's pretty cool is Spider-Man No Way Home has apparently passed 800 million in the box office. So considering that we're, st- we're still in the pandemic, I mean, people are still not going to theaters. And it's it's funny, like I still have students when you know people start talking about Spider-Man, some kids are like, oh, no, 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 I, haven't, I haven't watched it yet. You know, they're like covering their ears and it's like, Every, it's so many people have watched it. You know, it's, it's still in theaters. It's available. You can buy it digitally. And uh, I forget when the Blu-ray comes out next month. This or we're in this we're in April already, so it's coming out. But people haven't watched it yet, so um, it's it's hopefully still making money. And uh, it would be cool if they could make it to a billion because you know that's that's the magic number and it it, it deserves it. Uh, Halo fans, anyone? Not me. Um, and I only say that because I don't. I don't play Xbox. I'm not an Xbox guy. I'm a uh, PlayStation for life. Well, I was until I couldn't get a PlayStation Five, and they forced me into video game retirement because it's it's impossible to get one. Plus the, the cost to get one. Uh, yes, I'm a little bitter about that. So, and plus I have no time because I spend all my time prepping for this, even though it doesn't sound like it. 
uh, if you are a Halo fan, so there's a Halo series, which I'm, I'm curious to check it out. I've been, been meaning to, and I've been kind of talking about it. It's like, you know, should I, uh, should I talk about the shows even though they've already dropped here? Because I think they dropped two episodes already, like the first week. But they've put out the first episode for free. So you can search it if I, I I'm not going to, I can't give you a link orally. I can't audit auditory or at least so I can't give you an audit auditory link. I could, I could just tell you, but no one's going to do that. Uh, just go to YouTube and search it. I'm sure you, it'll pop up right away and you can check it out for yourself. I'm really curious to see what it's like. One of the things I the one tiny thing that I heard is that what's interesting about the show is they kind of mix it. Like every once in a while it goes shifts into first person view, which I think, I think that's, that's a really cool and important idea. So how does it work? We'll see. Something else that I'm not super excited for is HBO's House of the Dragon. I didn't love Game of Thrones. I mean, I was interested. You know, I, I watched the first episode years ago, and I was like, eh, okay. And then it was actually, when was it? Was it when the, I think it was, um, actually, I think it was uh, <laughs> 2017. <laughs> the reason I know that, obvious for obvious reason. Uh, I started watching it again, you know, and I th- I think I got up to, see- I mean, either in season three or four. That's how bad it is. I don't know. Because, you know, when you're watching streaming, you just, okay, next episode, next episode. And, you know, I was watching on the HBO Go app. So, you know, it keeps track of everything. Unfortunately, now that I'm watching everything on HBO Max, I don't even know if the HBO Go app st- still exists, if they shut it down. Because I have no idea what episode I was on. And that's going to be a pain, but maybe someday I'll, I'm curious. I am curious. I've managed to avoid spoilers. I, I have no idea what happens at, at, I know there's a red wedding. I don't know what's, what's, what's going on with that. I know something happens, something really happens to Jon Snow, but then maybe it kind of didn't happen or maybe some, whatever. I know there's something about that. And I know that the last season was like complete garbage, apparently, but I have no idea why or what. And, and you know, every time I say, oh, yeah, I haven't watched it yet. And they're like, just don't watch the last season. But I feel like I need to, even though, I, I, you know, it's been years since I've been watching it. Someday I will. But anyways, oh, so why did I bring this up? Uh, there's prequel House of the Dragon is coming out on Sunday, August 21st. And uh, I think they're, they're listing it as like a 10 episode series. You know, they're not committing to it like it being an ongoing series so I, I but i wonder you know the big question is what are the sequel clauses or whatever for the the actors you know all the main players so we'll see hbo max is is doing uh, so that's hbo so you can watch an hbo or hbo max hbo max specifically i th- believe is doing an it prequel series so, so stephen king's it pennywise the clown basically um, I think it's going to be called Welcome to Dairy. And what's confusing, so it's just like, oh, it's just the, the origin of, of, of Pennywise. Okay. But then I checked this. I had to check it out. I read it on one website. Then I was like, wait a minute. So then I checked a couple other ones. Second one, I think Deadline didn't didn't list anything. But then I think Variety also mentioned uh, it's, it's taking place in the 1960s. It's like that's not the origin of of Pennywise because we know Pennywise has been around a lot longer, right? Wasn't he with the, the that picture, creepy picture with the circus? You know, 
that wasn't the 60s. That was like maybe 1920s. But we know Pennywise has been around longer than that, right? Or it has been around. I don't even know. It's, it's been so long since I've read the book. But that'll be cool to see what they do with it and how you know what, what it deals with. But it's saying it's supposed to lead up to the events of the of the first It movie. It's like okay, so we've seen. Are you going to bring the kids back? I mean that that would be interesting. Although that no, that doesn't make sense because it's not about the kids. It's about if it's about dairy and it. I'm so confused. What are they going to do? Uh, no date, obviously, and uh, no word if Bill Skarsgård is going to be involved. Hopefully. Um, Sharon Stone fans, she is going to be the villain. What has Sharon Stone done lately? What have I seen her in lately? Uh, or what was the last thing I saw? I don't know. She's going to be the villain in Blue Beetle. And uh, apparently she's playing Victoria Cord, who is a new character for the movie. But I believe she's supposed to be Ted Cord's wife. And we know that the movie is going to have uh, Jaime Reyes and um, uh, what's his name from Cobra Kai? Miguel. <laughs> He's playing Jaime. Uh, I, can't for, I can't remember his name. And that comes out on August 18th, 2023. So not this year. Also not this year, Scream 6. Scream 6 is uh, March 31st, 2023, apparently. And I I really don't... It's like, what are you going to do? I, I, I feel like, you know, this last movie was was pretty good. Some of the other ones were, eh, you know, they were they're all right. And it, it just ends up being the same thing. Someone has some crazy revenge scheme. They want to do something, so they take on the guys of Ghostface, they start killing people and, you know, whatever. Oh, surprise, this is why. And So I, I feel like that, I mean, that's only going to take you so far. And I, I think it's good that it's been a while since Scream 4 and this Scream 5 or whatever, even though they call it Scream again instead of Scream 5. So I, I just feel like they're doing it too fast. I mean, unless they, they have a story to go with it. And, you know, the question is, since we've seen some people perish in the last movie, some of the core characters, you know, what does this mean for the other characters? And, you know, mainly, you know, what, what's this mean for Nev Campbell, for Sydney? So that that's my fear. But I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, maybe they could do something good, but if it's too, it's just how, like how we feel about Joker. We got too much Joker, you know, all, all day, all, all the time or whatever. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, for I know there's people excited for Gotham Knights, CW's Gotham Knights series that apparently isn't a series yet. It's just it's a pilot, maybe. I have no idea what's going on, but it sounds it sounds like they're prepping the show, even though it's not official. Official spoiler has been cast. Yeah, so spoiler Stephanie Brown. Stephanie Brown has been cast. Um, Anna Lore is playing spoiler. And she was in, oh, what was she in? Um, she was in American something. I think it was a CW show, maybe. American Night Hero, Downtown American Night Cowboys. I don't even know. I thought, I did, was it a football? Was it another football thing? I don't know. But I think she's going to be in it. So we have that. All right. Um, Umbrella Academy 3. So Umbrella Academy 3 comes out in... 
June, June 22nd. So the thing that, you know, a lot of people have been interested in, and I'm really curious about this. So Ellen Page, obviously, you know, she has has transitioned to Elliot Page. And I I, I applaud him for this. You know, I, I think you got to do what you got to do. And I know some people, the whole idea, the concept is just baffling to them. And I I I think that's unfortunate. You know, I, I have some students who identify by different pronouns and all that. And you can see like where they're at. And I don't think that it's just something that's in someone's mind. You know, there is something there, obviously. You know, I'm I'm not an expert on it and, and I might sound like, you know, like a dumb dumb trying trying to explain this. But I, I think that this is, you know, a huge thing. So Ellen Page is now Elliot Page. And, you know, so the, the big question is like, well, what does that mean for the character for Vanya, Vanya, you know, Hargreaves. So Vanya is now going to become Victor Hargreaves. And um, this isn't something that happened in the comic. So they're, they're doing that. And I think that's, that's great. I, I applaud everyone involved with, with, with the show to, to do this, to allow this, you know, they, they could just say, all right, this, this character, we're going to have to, write out the character or do something, you know, there's a, they could recast, they probably wouldn't, but you know, they could always do something like, Oh, something ch- history changed the timeline. And now wait, why does Vanya look different? Oh, well, you know, or just not acknowledge it at all. So it, it'll, it, it'll be cool to, to see what, what they do with that. And I, I, I think it's important just like, you know, I think representation is, is crucial for, blacks hispanics or latino whatever <laughs> um for everyone and yeah i i i'm i'm all for it so i i look forward to seeing that and as long as it's, it's handled appropriately you know i i don't don't force it don't you know make this this or that or whatever just you know make it part of the story make have it make sense and you know don't make it like an after school special but if it educates some people awesome and if some people just don't understand or approve, then then hey, don't watch the show. You know, I, I'm gonna watch it, so that's fine with me. Anyways, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds has teased the return of a of a character in Deadpool. So apparently, uh, Blind Al sounds like Blind Al is gonna return. He he made a comment, or there, somehow it came out like on Twitter that the actress plays Blind Al. Of course, I forgot her name. She said something, and, and Ryan Reynolds like, "Yeah, see you soon" or something like that. And I think he, he I think he might have hashtag Blind L even. So that's basically that. That's a pretty good confirmation there, right? So that that's good because even though Deadpool three new studio and there may be some differences, I don't know, but at least you know we we got that at least something that's familiar coming along. So that 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 that's safe or that that's that's good good to hear but um we'll have to see like you know there's got to be mention of of things shifting and i'm I'm just so curious what what deadpool is gonna have to say about that and then the last bit of news james gunn oh no no no. actually okay uh so james gunn i i just want to talk quickly i shouldn't even but james gunn (laughs) has said that guardians of the galaxy holiday special is the greatest thing he's ever done in his life. He's like super excited for it. He says it's, it's totally ridiculous. He's he's like he's surprised that what they're allowed to do, and you know he's he's just really excited for everyone to see it. You know it's gonna we're gonna have to wait till Christmas, I guess, the holidays. 
but that that's that's very interesting to hear and um because you know when i heard about it, it's like i eh, have guardians of the galaxy okay we'll see but uh, you know after peacemaker and i'm i'm super excited so we'll see what he has in store for us all right um then the last thing that you know i debated whether i should talk or not talk i, I kind of feel like i shouldn't but the whole academy awards will smith the slap I just, it, I, the thing that gets me is like after it happened so yeah it should not have happened i feel like there's more to it than we know and i also don't feel like you should you know go to a prestigious ceremony thing and get insulted or potentially get insulted i just don't understand humor like that where it's like okay i'm going to totally insult you or whatever uh, i'm going to insult your medical condition I, I I don't know. I, and obviously that right there, not a huge deal. So I feel like there, there has to be more to it than we're aware of. And after it happened, you know, I saw like all these people are like, Oh, Will Smith should be in jail and this and that. It's like, well, Chris Rock didn't press charges. So why, why would, that's why he, that's why Will Smith wasn't arrested. That's why he's not in jail because there were no charges. And then, you know, you're seeing it's like all these celebrities like, oh, it's so disappointing or this or that or anything like that. It's like, why are people, why are you talking about this? And who's asking you if anyone's asking you? So I'm, I'm just so tired. And and the nice thing that I saw like Daniel Radcliffe, he's like, I'm, I'm tired of hearing everyone, you know, it was like, why was everyone talking about this? So that's my thought on it. That one we don't know the whole story and two it's like obviously he was upset there's more to it and i just don't you know i and i i i like chris rock you know i i really enjoyed spiral i thought it was a really good you know movie for the the saw franchise you know i go back listen to the podcast and i i thought it was great because he approached it a little differently you know it wasn't a comedic role so i i thought it was great to see chris rock kind of you know stretching a little bit and you know there were some definitely funny moments and you know his like sarcasm or whatever but it was it was just something different and you know i i don't think i mentioned i maybe it was just from talking to people like the last stand-up act i saw of chris rock it was like after his divorce and all he did was it was just like it was viciously attacking his ex-wife and yeah, okay, I get it. You're divorced, you're bitter, you're upset. Maybe, you know, who's at fault? Whatever, you're both at fault. Was she at fault? You're at fault. You know, it's always he said, she said type of thing. But it just, it, it got to the point where it's like, this isn't funny. You know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry you, you guys went through this, but it's like, this, I, this isn't what I want to watch. So I don't know. There, so there you go. <laughs> so on that note, that is going to be the news for So what, what we learned, don't slap anyone. You know, try not to do that. Will Smith has said that he quit the Academy. Who knows what they're going to do? Because supposedly he was asked to leave after that, but he wouldn't. Um, With all these celebrities here and everything, you know, Hollywood's precious, you know, talented, you know, moneymakers. I think they would have a bit of security where if you need someone to leave, you can make that happen. So, and that seems weird that, you know, the Academy, whoever spokespeople are saying that after, I don't know, maybe that that's true, but anyways, don't slap people. It's, 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 it's not okay. And, and don't insult people. 
just be happy and get along and uh, and move along because that is going to be it for the news. All right, with comics at Image, there was Magic Order 2, number 6. So this is the last one. And I'm going to be honest, I did not read this yet. So this is, uh, I need to go back and just read from the beginning. And, you know, my, I stupidly, whatever, I've complained that, you know, there's so many characters just trying to keep track of everyone. So I, I think reading it all at once, that would, would help. So I'm, I'm really fascinated with this world. And I'm really curious, you know, if this is going to be a Netflix show. I haven't heard anything specifically about it, but I'm really curious to see how it all plays out. I, you know, there's a lot of great setup with with the characters and their abilities and everything like that. The art here, Stuart Immonen, it's been amazing. And you know, I you know I love pretty much everything Mark Miller does. So check it out. Um, it, it should be coming out in a trade soon since all six issues are out but i definitely need to to go back and read from the beginning we also had newborn newburn issue five and apparently i may not have read issue four i don't know how i would have missed that i don't think i did because i started reading this so so newburn he's uh he like he used to be a cop and he's kind of like this investigator dude you know he's he's slightly older dude not not too old but he kind of works for like all the different mob families and he you know he's kind of like untouchable he go goes and does whatever and investigates different things and you know he even has like kind of free reign with the police and stuff like that they just because you know he helps them out so he's just kind of just really weird like not weird but he's in like this really unique position people don't really like him but you know you don't mess with him is is the thing but then here he's in prison it's like so. I'm like, wait, why? Why? What? What do you do? How do you? How do you get there? And then the interesting thing is, when he's in there, there's so many people that he, he caused to get put in there. So you know that that's not not a not a good thing. You know, there's definitely some threats against him, and you know his uh his jailmate that he gets put in there. He actually he's kind of wondering if he was put with him on purpose because there's a reason you know for for him being his, his his cellmate being in there is because of him and so it was just really interesting the way it all, all played out so I, I definitely recommend the series and uh you know i i don't really hear much about it but then again i guess i'm not reading you know every bits of comic news everywhere but i, I definitely recommend it so check out you know get the the other ish previous issues and you know when this gets collected you should definitely check this out so you know chip zadarsky casey gilly just it's really cool so it's just something a little different i like that okay then there is um radiant black issue 13 and what we see here so our radiant black character you know he's trying to deal with the fact that he was gone how long was he gone for was it a month or six weeks or something like that you know he he got pulled into this weird dimension thing you know with the powers and you know talking to whatever and he, it just looked like he just disappeared. No one knew where he was. And his friend, who was the original Radiant Black spoiler, was has been in a coma. And you know they're about to pull the plug because you know it didn't look like there's any hope for him. And so you know people are mad. It's like, well, why weren't you there? You know when you know at that time, like he even had a dog, and you know someone had to take his dog, and you know to take care of it. And so he's back, and you know he doesn't have a lot of money and stuff like that. And then Radiant Black is actually doing like some ads, like pr promoting some stuff. 
and which doesn't quite work out so well. Like, you know, he's promoting his pizza place because he really likes a pizza. And then this dude who has a, a, a grief, gripe, gripe, not grief, a gripe with him, like attacks a pizza place because they, they must have figured like, well, we should attack this, this place. The reason they have a gripe is they have these like battle suits type of things and they're having difficulty getting the power for them but then being in close proximity to radiant black somehow powers their suits so it's just it's crazy thing but yeah so bad bad stuff going on um rogue sun number two so this this is another interesting series so it, it starts off we have this kid who basically never knew his, his father left him you know abandoned him and his mom when when he was young and he he's his his dad died and i oh i don't remember when he found out but it turns out that his dad actually had another family so you know the kid thought it's like oh here's this guy that just doesn't want anything to do with anyone but then you find out oh no he's actually married and has so he has a wife and two kids or three kids i think three kids two sons and a a daughter so that's kind of means that it's like no it wasn't that this this guy didn't want to be tied down or have a family. It's like he did, but he just chose this other family and then didn't acknowledge his first son. So it turns out this guy was a, like a superhero type thing. It was just rogue son guy. He gets killed and spoiler. I don't think it's really spoiler, but then it's, it's like a matter of like, who's he going to bequeath the power to? And he bequeaths it to his, first son who he basically had no interaction with at all and so you know he's this bitter guy you know this bitter kid you know good reason so like what's he going to do with it and you know the other kids they they knew all about this and they're like you know we should have had the power in this or that and and then there's another interesting aspect of like this is ospoli in the first issue but when he has he can like his dad's like talking to him and like so it's like he's kind of like a ghost I was like, how's that work? Like, what's going on? So definitely some some interesting things there. Um, Spawn 328 came out, if you're reading that. Then there was... Uh, I, I started reading this, and I didn't get very far. So what's this called? <laughs> Zombies versus Robot? I don't know why it says ZVRC. Zombies versus Robots Classic, number one of four. So this is by Chris Ryle and Ashley Wood. So I, I have the issue, and I started reading it, but then there was, like, a lot of text, like, on that first page. I'm like, whoa. I have no idea. I this is it's back. I don't remember hearing about this. Somehow I I feel bad. So I'm I'm really curious to check this out. And you know, because I, I like Chris Rael. You know, he's a, he's a cool guy, and he you know, he's done good stuff. Ashley Wood art is just you know crazy cool. So I need need to check this out. So if if you've read it, how is it? Let me know because robots versus zombie i mean just just that and it's its own it's like i i need i need to know more about that so oh my goodness uh gi joe real american hero saturday morning adventures number two came out and i didn't read that i could have i could have sworn i looked because i i tend to look at the previews list to see what's coming out and then what do i need to read and um somehow i i totally missed that so man and then at a uh, boom because I, I did look and see okay boom there's a buffy 20th buffy's vampire slayer 25th anniversary i didn't check that out but there was something killing the children 21 so this is a kind of like a new story arc 
and it, and it's it's kind of cool because Erica Slaughter is back. You know, we haven't we we did see her in the last the previous arc, which was kind of like a flashback and, and stuff like that. So there's there's some definitely cool here, cool stuff here. And apparently, according to Solicit, it's a year since we last saw her in Archer's Peak, and now it's kind of starting again. You know, there's another situation, another like attack, and another survivor, and you know, it's so, like what's going on here. And it's just, just a whole idea of it's, it, it's, I don't know how to describe it. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's just weird to think that these creatures, you know, in this world, that these creatures are out there and they're killing people, but no one can see them. The adults can't see them. You know, kids might be able to see them. Then like, you know, what do they do? And so it's, it's like all these people just getting torn apart and there's no explanation for it, except this girl survived and, you know. She's covered in blood. It's like, what? What is she gonna do? So, regardless of how poorly I'm, I'm just you know explaining this. This is just amazing series. So you should definitely be checking that out. At DC, I think there wasn't a whole lot this week, which again is always good for me. There is Batman Beyond the White Knight, Batman Beyond the White Knight, book one. So this is it's actually so it's uh Sean Sean Murphy's Batman corner his 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 continuity is his own little universe type thing and it's just it's it's so good it's so different and it it's nice to see them do you know Sean being able to do what he wants and his own terms and just everything's just so weird not so weird but it's just on its own you know Batman's been in jail for you know stuff whatever and you know Joker seems to be dead and you know hardly has kids people like duke thomas and nightwing and you know they're on this like police sort of vigilante force anyways it turns out that uh, someone sends this kid named terry into the bat cave even though it's like under guard by the police you know because everyone they know bruce wayne is batman so they, they, they terry just kid terry is sent down there to dig out this like really dangerous prototype suit that Batman didn't want anyone to use because it's supposedly really dangerous so which is a Batman Beyond suit it's interesting that we're seeing like a Batman Beyond in a closer to modern era so it's not like you know the far off future and so you know Bruce Wayne he is older but he's not like old man Bruce Wayne like he was in the, the animated series so there's some some definitely cool things here, and I would say just all of these the Sean Murphy Batman, you know, White Knight. You should read them. How many have there been now? Has there been two different volumes or three? They're they're all good. So I I just I really really strongly recommend these. Oh, what I realized at Image, I didn't talk about uh, Righteous Thirst for Vengeance issue six. This is a, a Rick Remender book, so it's. I, again that goes without saying that, that you should read this and um it's just it's it's really good uh andre arahu's doing the art so the the main character what i like about him he's not like your typical like f- super fit action dude and so you know i feel like that makes him a little more realistic and you know he's he's kind of on the run from some people you know he's kind of got in a bad situation he's you know he's able to survive but you know, there, there's other things involved. So he's kind of like out in hiding and, you know, he's trying to like get away from the violence, but obviously, you know, it's, it's not going to work. And, 
this I'm doing a horrible job, exp, you know, explaining this, but you should definitely check that out. DC versus Vampires issue six. Um, I there, I don't I don't not really quite sure what it is, but I just I love this series so much. This um this might be this might be my current favorite DC series. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because it's Otto Schmidt's art. I just really like the art and the colors way, you know, the, the characters are depicted and everything looks. I do I'm surprisingly I like the story so much. This the idea of DC characters getting turned into vampires and then, you know, then, you know, hero versus former hero or former villain that's now a vampire. I, I just, I don't know, there's something about it. And even though we just had Deceased, which was really surprisingly good, because, of course, Tom Taylor, uh, there's just something about this that I just, I, I find just just kind of, like, fascinating. And I, I, I strongly recommend, I mean, it's um, this issue, and, you know, it's James Tyne in the fourth and, and Matthew Rosenberg doing the writing. So that right there, you know, two amazingly awesome writers on top of you know with Otto Schmidt's art it's just this is the real deal and I, I know I said it last time but I'm hoping they they put out a nice you know s- slick hardcover for this because I just I'm really digging it I should probably look because maybe it's already like pre-sales for that but I'm just just really digging this and the fact that it is out of continuity you know you have to think anything goes and we got a pretty big bombshell in this one. You know, we're only halfway through the series. Thank goodness. I'm so glad that there's like so much more coming, but I, I just, I strongly recommend this. So you should be checking this out. Then there was shadow war alpha, uh, that came out. So this is, uh, by Joshua Williamson and Victor Bogdanovic, which, uh, I love his art and I'm, I always worry, and I've said this before, and hopefully no one, you know, the higher ups at, at DC aren't, aren't listening. I doubt it, but I fear that like Victor's going to become like a cover artist. You know, his his art is so good that they're going to see like, oh yeah, we could have him do interiors, but let's have him instead of doing twenty pages, let's have him do like ten covers, or well, I don't know what the difference, you know, how it would translate. And, you know, they can use that to try to sell, you know, whether doing main covers or variant covers. But I just I just really dig his art. So what this is dealing with, this is dealing with a lot with like Rachel Ghoul and, and Talia and, and uh, Batman, obviously, and Damien and Deathstroke. So Rachel Ghoul is like, he feels like he or he says he's dying, whether it's not, not you know, that that's, that's uh, subjective or maybe it doesn't, it kind of doesn't really matter <laughs> at this point. But we've seen all the stuff with like the the curse or the curse the with the Lazarus resin and Lazarus pit. Um, his mom said that the Lazarus pit is cursed and stuff like that. So it's like, what does that mean for him? And uh, he realizes that his his scheme of trying to save the planet by destroying a huge portion of the population might not be the best thing to do. And he actually decides to, you know, maybe we should turn ourselves in. And it's like weird that Talia would go along with this. And so there's a big concern where it's like, okay, if they're going to turn themselves in, you know, race has a lot of enemies. So, you know, things can get, get kind of crazy. So obviously Deathstroke has issues with him and um, stuff happens and did it really happen or who who's responsible? Um, 
and then there's like some tension between Damien and Bruce. You know, they, they're they're finally talking to each other and are are back in the same you know city for for after how long? So th- things are are really messed up. So it's actually kind of interesting. When I first heard about this, I'm like, all right, you know, yeah, it's Joshua Williamson. It's going to be good, but we'll see. But yeah, it's it is good. So of course it's good. War for Earth three issue two. This I believe wasn't this just a, a two issue. Yes, yeah, two issue limited series, which is just weird. You know, of course it kind of ties into some of the other recent books, even like the Flash tied into this. But man, I just don't really care for Earth three characters, and you know that that's a big part of this. I'm still not really fully clear on what Amanda Waller is doing. You know, because she's been going to Earth three. Somehow she has access to transporting to different Earths, and she's just like, oh, I'm gonna go and kidnap this person and force them on my team because there must be evil right and just kind of kind of silly so yeah i I just don't care stay on earth three amanda that's fine (laughs) and then there was a aquaman issue two oh so what we have here like humans something's happening to like certain people and they're kind of getting turned into like half atlantean creatures or something like that so now it looks like maybe the idea is that they were really sleeper agents and then something like awoke them and you know because they're they have like at atlantean dna or something like that so there's some stuff going on and jackson is trying to you know he's on a scene trying to figure stuff out and then he's not happy because black manta's involved and you know he just doesn't get along with his dad because his dad's evil he's a bad guy or whatever but then Jackson finds out that like Black Manta and Aquaman, that Arthur are like working together, and he's like starts calling like oh he's calls all the family to meeting and he's like something's wrong with Arthur and you know, he's not thinking right. It's like well you know you think maybe he knows what he's doing that maybe he knows more about the situation than you do. You know he's been doing this a lot longer you know way longer before you know you were even born. But so it just jackson the way he's being written it's 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 like annoying you know he's he's just making all these demands and assumptions and i don't think that aquaman's being like mind controlled or anything like that but he's just so adamant that something's going on that there's no reason that he should be you know working with his dad because his dad's completely evil and but obviously there's like a bigger picture and he's just refuses to even consider that there could be something more going on so that's my takeaway from it. Okay, but then over at oh geez, over at Marvel, we had Amazing Spider-Man issue ninety-three, and I'm not crazy about this. I am not crazy about it at all. So I was interested. You know, this whole Beyond story arc was was kind of cool in the beginning. I thought it was a little weird. Ben Riley hooking up with this corporation it's like okay great you know he's gonna have more resource and all this i didn't really like that he's just being so open about his identity and just you know everyone knowing that he's ben riley that's his name and this is what he looks like even though he happens to look exactly like peter parker except his hair is different you know he's not telling people peter's name but i just feel like that's like a, such a huge thing especially which i i, I don't know if i missed this but considering that beyond acquired like 
Parker Industries, like technology and stuff like that. Even you know a lot of stuff. That's why Doc Ock was attacking because it was a lot of stuff that that he created or established when he was in Peter Parker's body when he was a superior Spider Man. So obviously they know who Peter Parker is, and and does that does anyone say, hey Ben, you look exactly identical to Peter except your hair is different. So and there's all that, but Ben's been been kind of struggling because something's been been done to his memory and my takeaway is it's almost like he allowed it to happen because he's you know he's going through these therapy sessions trying to rebuild this or whatever he wanted like certain memories removed i think so he wouldn't uh jeopardize like peter's identity maybe but because he's missing some things like almost like too much was taken from him so he's like not feeling whole and, and then it starts off where I don't even know when this happened. This just seems so out of character where Mary Jane is like attacking Scarlet Spider saying, you know, this is Peter's life. It's like, you can't have it. And she's just like yelling at him. And then, then we see Ben in the attic with Peter because Peter's like trying to clear out the attic. I, I guess it's Aunt May stuff. And he's like, you know, you're entitled to this stuff too. It's your memories too. And and then at one point, you know, there's this picture he picks up and and Ben, Aunt May, and uh, Peter's their faces like all black and scribbled. So we've seen Ben having these like weird dreams before. So Ben is just, he starts going over the top. Like he wants his memories restored and everything like that. So he goes back to beyond and he's just, he's just smashing his way through and he's just like insisting this or that. And then Maxine, the completely evil woman, she's like, yeah, you just need to get the original here, put this helmet on him. And then, you know, we'll be able to decipher what's missing from your mind and, and stick it in there. It's like, okay, you want him to put this brain device on Spider-Man, on Peter Parker, and you believe her, you trust her. So obviously there's something up with that. Anyways, uh, the whole thing kind of resolved. It, it, it gets to the point where, oh, Peter and Ben are fighting and Ben is just completely irrational. It is absolutely 100% not in character for Ben Riley. It's like, okay, yeah, maybe he's dealing with this, all this traumatic mind stuff or whatever. It just, it's just not what I want to read. This isn't, you know, when I saw, I was like, Oh, Ben Riley's back. Awesome. I'm so excited. I'm not excited about this. I am not happy with this. So it's just, it, it, he's basically, as you, you know, the cards were on the table or whatever, or the, the signs were in the sky, written in the sand. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Ben, it's, you know, he's, he's fighting Spider-Man. And, and then Maxine's like, oh, you know, we need to scrub the whole facility, scrub the lower floors. And, and at one point, spoiler, I'm just going to spoil it because uh, Marvel kind of did. They kind of did. I think the day the issue came out, or maybe even, maybe it was then. So he's just like, Ben's like, I'm nothing, blah, 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 like that. Then he just kind of gives up. And there's this toxic chemical stuff that's supposed to scrub everything, like supposed to just dissolve or destroy any incriminating or dangerous elements that beyond might have and ben's just like you know it's like whatever he's like i'm just gonna let this happen it basically it totally made me think of revenge of the sith where you have obi-wan and anakin fighting you are my brother (laughs) and you know peter had the higher ground 
And instead of Ben falling into molten lava, he falls into this green, sludgy, liquid, toxic, scrubbing, whatever, chemical compound. And then, uh, so something happens. And uh, if you've seen the stuff about chasm. Oh my god. <laughs> I just I I don't know what else to say. I it, it just here we go again. And what was funny, I'm I'm so happy about this when I saw I think it was an Instagram post about chasm and I I was like, okay, I looked in the comments comments and there was a, a lot of people kind of felt the same way I did. You know, we're like, you know, okay, Ben's getting screwed over again. Oh, yeah, I, just, I don't know. So I, I got nothing else to say about that. We'll see what happens. And, you know, of course, I'll, I'll check it out to see what, what they're going to do with it. I just, I just don't understand. And, you know, maybe it's just so create a new identity for Ben. So it's not just Spider-Man and Spider-Man. I get that. I, I can appreciate that. But... I don't know. He's just completely, you know, they they tear him apart. And it's like, he's not even a character he was. I I don't know. Maybe he'll, he'll bounce back, but it's just, so what I think. Captain Marvel issue 37. This was, um, this was all right issue, but then it, it felt like it started getting to be a a bit much. So I've always loved the series. And I think, you know, I absolutely love like pretty much everything Kelly Thompson does. And, you know, I, I've been loving her depiction of Carol and everything, but with this, it kind of gets to be a little too much like girls night out. Cause you know, it's, it's like Carol and um, her half sister and hazmat and Jessica drew and now, now binary, you know, they're, they're going to go, where do they go? They go to like Las Vegas and they just do all this Monica Rambeau. Did I say her? And there's like all this stuff happening, and it, it's just you know, I'm I don't do girls' nights out because I'm not a girl, and it's just a bit much. But you know there there are some some interesting things here as well. So um, uh, other, uh, apart from that little tiny bit, it, it, it was was still good. Um, the stuff with binary, you know, I'm I'm curious to see what's going to happen with that. So in their their last story arc. Uh, basically a energy form of carol sort of came out but it's like a sentient so binary is like its own thing it's kind of carol's powers but it's you know it's not carol and so you have this sentient being who doesn't really know how what things are you know she sees a like a kitten and she's like totally falls in love with this thing you know that it's it's vibrating you know it's purring and you know she doesn't you know what's going on and and you know she wants to keep it and so there, there's definitely some interesting things there a dark ages issue six so this is the conclusion and um it felt like things kind of happened like everything concluded kind of quickly you know we have this big build-up it's it's a world where you know technology has been shut off there's like this constant emp blast and everyone's had to kind of learn to adapt and survive without you know the whole world is totally changed it is kind of weird how with all this time that has passed that you know it's peter and mary jane have a daughter may and luke cage and jessica jones daughters not much older 
it's just almost like they're like the same. It's like, hey, how's that happen? But it was kind of cool seeing everyone a little older, and you know the fact that we have like Laura, you know, Wolverine X twenty three, whatever, and Gabby is still here, and you're just seeing like who survived, who didn't, and you know people are are getting killed and stuff like that, and you know there's some evil forces, apocalypse. You know, it shouldn't be a spoiler. So you know things get wrapped up, and I feel like there could be a sequel to this so i don't know how well this did if if you know there's any plans for that but it just felt like things kind of kind of happened quickly but it, it was good ghost rider issue two so john blaze johnny blaze um he escaped that town that he was in you know he thought everything was like perfect and then he found out that things were kind of dark and everything was just a lie so he's out on the road uh, his bike ends up getting smashed so he pushes it to his town and then he ends up at this hotel or motel and he's like i don't have any money is there anything i can do i'll scrub toilets do whatever and the guy's like oh sure and everything like that the guy's a little little creepy and it turns out he this kind of like at the um what was that movie with the really long, long title but the hotel that was like on the california nevada um border and it had like Chris Hemsworth and had um had a bunch of people in it. Anyways, so he's there's like this hallway with where you can walk and see inside all the rooms. Like there's like one way mirrors in all the rooms, and it's just like this guy's creepy, and he's I think you know, doing other things, killing people or whatever like that. And uh, John gets kind of mixed up. There, and there's people like kind of tracking him, following him. So yeah, I, I'm okay with this. Hulk issue five. So Donny Cates, Ryan Otley. This is just a bizarre series. So, you know, Hulk has been kind of pulled into this other dimension. And in this dimension, Bruce Banner isn't the Hulk, but he, you know, made the, the gamma bomb. Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross is a president and Hulk is sort of like a starship. So Banner is like kind of controlling Hulk as it like, <laughs> it's just weird because you know when he does the like the power levels basically to power up r- r- actual hulk you know you you set the hulk to fight different things and when you increase it the threat against the hulk in- increases so he starts fighting harder which translates to actual hulk fighting harder and yeah and uh yeah thunderbolt ross in this world is is pretty evil even though he's president and um yeah, so I, I I just I find it's a very odd series, but um, I I love the art. Hulk Grand Design Monster number one. So this is by Jim Rugg. I didn't. I'll admit I didn't read all this, but I you know I started reading it and then you know, flipped through to some of the pages. So it's it's kind of cool. I really 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 dig the, the art style. You know Jim Jim Rugg's art. And basically, like with the the X Men Grand Design, it's 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 kind of weird, but it retells like key moments and you know the characters' history and stuff like that. So it's always it's interesting to to see how all that plays out. And then Immortal X Men issue one. So this one, um, I saw you know people talking about like big spoiler and you know don't spoil it and stuff like that, and. After you know, having read it, I think I know maybe what what the big big huge thing was. 
and maybe I'm just not fully seeing like the scope of the you know the, the consequences or the impact that this could have. But I was just like, okay, so um, it's dealing with uh, the Quiet Council on Krakoa, you know, where they have to uh, elect you know new people because Magneto's like, yeah, I'm gonna go to uh, what are they calling Mars now, where they terraformed it. He's just gonna kind of retire off the the the, the Quiet the, the Council. And there's still like the consequences of Moira being out there and the fact that uh, Magneto and, and Xavier keeping secrets about her, you know, her even being alive and, and her mutant powers, you know, having being or being able to live through time. And then it, even when she dies, she goes back. She's kind of like reincarnated, but with all her memories so she can right any wrongs or fix, you know, learn from mistakes and stuff like that. But. Um, it's it's definitely I mean interesting f- first issue. We'll see where this is going to go. Then there was Iron Fist issue two, and I'm not like super excited for this. You know this this character who became Iron Fist. I don't know if it's like still a secret or not. I don't know this character. You know anything about them? So I really I'm not invested. And, you know, Danny's, you know, he doesn't have the power to Iron Fist anymore, which sucks. But, you know, he's he's curious that, you know, he's still, like, involved. And, um, but but seeing the new Iron Fist and going, you know, when he goes back to Kunlun and, like, other people, you know, some people are mad at him that he got the Iron Fist because they've been training for it their whole... But even, like, this one person is like, okay, you do not seem worthy if you're, like, trying to attack someone else because you're bitter that they got the Iron Fist and you didn't. But I guess that's just like typical comic book or fiction drama conflict. I don't know. Miles Morales, issue 36. So continuing from the last issue, Miles, you know, picked up on one of the multiversal channel things or whatever at this facility place at the, um, what was the dude called? The um, assessor. The his uncle Aaron might still be alive. Um, I I feel like I may have missed something. It's like, okay, because if you're picking up a signal on Aaron, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's him. You know, if, if you're looking at different earths, you know, the multiverse or whatever, it could be your uncle from a different earth that you think is, it's just, I guess the fact that you know his uncle, we didn't necessarily see a body, so you know he probably is alive, but it just seems weird. And he's like him and Glurb, I guess what's his name, Shift. I call him Glurb. They just like jump in. They're just gonna go do it and uh, just like try to find his uncle, which just seems kind of crazy. And then um, then there's a big surprise at the end. Yeah, it's not quite what he thought. Silk issue three. So Silk is trying to figure out this um, Korean witch uh, myth, urban legend come to life problem. You know, she's trying to deal with that. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson's getting mad because at his what's what's this called? Heroes and his website news. I don't think it's Heroes and Capes. No, that doesn't make sense. He wouldn't call it that. But you know, he's mad because he wants like Silk to be like their story. And, you know, they're not getting all information, whatever, like that. And people are getting attacked. And then uh, Silk gets attacked at the end. And this, this witch basically, like, steals life force, like, essence from people. So, 
Um, yeah, it's, Silk's not going to be the same. Maybe she'll be able to heal from it, or maybe she's going to be like super old now. Then there is Silver Surfer Rebirth issue three. This is um, this is a weird weird series. You know, it goes back. It's Ron Mars and Ron Lim, the classic Silver Surfer. So I really like this because you know I remember like this is when I first started reading Silver Surfer was was with these guys, and it goes back that I don't know if they necessarily specified like where this would take place, like between you know issue fifty four and fifty five or whatever. But there's definitely some interesting things, and uh, you know Silver Surfer he finds himself back like working for Kingpin, you know, being his servant, and he's like, you know, what's going on here? And then, you know, he's trying to fight uh, Galactus, but, you know, that's not an easy task and everything like that. And then we also get some stuff with, like, Thanos and um, Nebula. So, you know, Thanos is, like, they're, like, out in the middle and like, nowhere, just, like, desert plane or something. And, you know, Nebula is, has issues with her dad and he's just kind of ignoring her, you know, trying to figure out where they're at so he can like leave. And cause he's like, this isn't our earth or whatever, or our universe. So there's weird stuff going on here, but yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just the, the, I mean, the writing is, is, is great. The art is just, you know, it just takes me back. So it's, it's so cool. Then there's Spider-Woman issue 21, which it turns out this is the last issue. So that sucks. Um, I'm surprised it made it to issue 21 because I it seems like it, they just don't don't get that high before they stop and then you know it seems like lately especially like Silk you know it's like six issue series done here's another here's more Silk another issue one and what really stinks is so in this issue basically a lot of her lame enemies have and lame because she's like massively like defeated them. They've got together to be the anti-Iraq Nine, which is just like a dumb name. So they're like all attacking her, fighting her, and it's it's it gets pretty brutal. And you know she she does a great job, but she, you know she's taking a lot of hits, and it's just really cool. A lot of cool scenes, and there's even some like a lot of great moments with the lettering and the effects, and you know how just different things. And then this is the last issue, so it's like I hope we're gonna get another spider-woman series like new number one which i think is ugh. anyways i hope we get more of you but this this was really fun and i don't know maybe maybe people aren't reading i don't know um star wars bounty hunter issue 21 came out i started reading this and i was just like i don't care about any of these characters there's like so many random sci-fi star wars characters that i just don't know and don't care about so i i just i, I couldn't get through it um, then there's Excellent Issue 2. So this is Peter Milligan and my favorite, Mike M- Mike Allred. <laughs> I don't know what I, who I was going to say, Mike Mill- um, <laughs> Peter Milligan, Mike Allred. Maybe the Milligan was, was messing me up. Uh, I just, I love Mike Allred's art and Laura Allred's colors. I mean, I will look at anything that they do. So it's it's cool seeing them, you know, back with Peter Milligan, you know, following Ecstatics and you know X Force Ecstatics. Uh, but the series is just so weird, and I feel like that this is not for everyone. And you know, I don't, I'm not really sure how many people are reading this, but man, I just because I, I I love this, I think it's great. I'm so excited that that this is back that we're seeing these characters again. But the story is just 
it almost feels like it just doesn't fit in now with with what's going on at Marvel, and especially with what's going on with the X Men. And you know, things are kind of dark, and I think I feel like things are a little more realistic in a way you know there's there's a lot of stuff about you know it's like social media and popularity and you know just trying to you know create like a false um impression and so there's a a lot of which just is not something that you would really see in x-men comics or anything like that and this doesn't have to be in x-men comics even though there's a big x at the front but it's just it's such a such an interesting series and it just kind of gets dark where, you know, people do die or this or this happens and, you know, people aren't like super happy, cheerful. So I, I highly recommend this. And if you haven't, you know, try to read the X-Force and Ecstatics comics because it's just just amazing stuff. And just Mike Allred and Laura Allred, they're just, they're gods. I mean, it's just, their, their work is amazing. Uh, like I said, I'll, I'll look at anything that they do. And then, if you hadn't read it already, X-Men Unlimited Latitude came out. So this was available, this was, I think, an infinite comic on the Marvel Unlimited app. So now you can finally read it. So I think it came out in print, maybe. That's why it's available here. But it's an interesting uh, Wolverine. I remember when I first read this, it's like, I don't remember when this first came out. But Wolverine, like, out in space, fighting uh, at the sword station and... uh, (laughs) <laughs> there's just a lot of crazy moments going on here so that's, that's definitely worth checking out and that <laughs> is going to be comic books for this week so i'm ending it on a, on a high note i'm actually was happy with the last thing i read all right with snowpiercer season three episode 10 this is the season finale and um yeah there's gonna be some interesting things about this so uh original sinners Audrey's playing piano, and now it's not clear. Is she waiting for Wilford? Does she know about his escape, you know, killing the guards and everything like that? Melanie says that, you know, she guesses someone has to be a monster, and, you know, she says something like the one who favors reasons, shatters dreams, or something like that, and she she's goes on about – she's doing the, the intro, the narration. Actually, it's like her and, and Leighton are kind of like switching up. But she's talking about how she died and sacrificed her bond with Alex so many times for the train. So to surrender now would make all that meaningless, you know. So maybe it was inevitable that you know she would be the monster. We see Roche and Brakeman are preparing for violence. Uh, Melanie asks Javi if he's ready for this, you know, being the bad guy, and he's like, "Well, if we're not lying, we're not the bad guys." And then Leighton, or he says like, you know, Leighton and New Eden people, you know, they're the the bad guys or whatever because you know they lied, and Wolford's still missing. So, but then we see Wilfred, he has this big old coat on. So it's like, where did he, was he allowed to keep his coat? It's like, how did he get his, his big coat? Osweiler uh, comes down as Audrey's like frantically playing on the piano. And he's, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, and she's like trespassing because, you know, she's not supposed to be there. But he mentions, he's like, the dam is breaking and she doesn't know what he's talking about. And then he mentions Wilfred and she's like, you know, or he, he says whatever she's up to with him, you know, he doesn't want any part of it. And she's like, I'm not on that side anymore. And she's like, you know, whatever's going on, you can trust me. And then this guy with a gun comes in and sees that it's just them. So then Audrey sits back at the piano. Then here comes Wilford and LJ's by his side. Uh, Leighton walks down the hall and then he's like, you know, he's like me and Melanie. It's like, I should have known it come down to this. You know, how else would we choose humanity's fate but by war? So Wilford goes up to Audrey he grabs her and kisses her he says i would ravish you here and now but you understand (laughs) which is just like okay that's just 
a little creepy, a lot creepy. To the others, he says that they're fighting from the bottom, so you know he has to be smart. He wants to set up shop right here in a night car between the two camps. So then he calls out to Dr. Headwood, the, the crazy doctor. I call it a crazy doctor, mad doctor, whatever. And he's like, where's our boy? So she comes down the stairs with this dude. It's, um, what's his name, Boki, the, the big dude who, who died? So it's their new, new Coldman. He was rescued from the aquarium explosion, and, and he was like altered and changed by the, the doc. Melanie goes and talks to Ruth. She says that, you know, she'd love to have her support and, you know, that of hospitality. And she's like, obviously. And she was also wondering, you know, where Alex was. And Ruth is like, probably with Mr. Layton. She's like, you've shattered her dreams too. And, you know, she's like, you know, we were going to New Eden, your honor, completing your mission. And Melanie's like, no, it's like, my mission is to survive on this train until we know it's safe to get off. Then she asks Ruth, she's like, you know, will you help me complete that mission? And, you know, so Ruth has to decide what she wants to do. In the other engine room, Leighton asks if there's any word on Will or where Wilfred is yet, and no. Ben also says that Javi isn't picking up uh, on the, the phone thing, so he can't yell at him. And Sarah's like, well, that's not going to help. Ben says that, you know, he, he's like, I can slow us down, you know, because they're at the back of the train or whatever. So then Leighton's like, you know, slow us down enough to piss them off. Then Till comes in to talk to Leighton, so still no word on Alex, so they're not sure where Alex is. And then... They, she mentions that the new Eden still has support, but anyone who is on the fence is now backing Melanie. So Leighton, Till, and Josie go to talk to the Tailies. So they they because they want answers. Leighton says that the lie about New Eden's on him. You know he used politics to guide the train. But he's like you know don't let that overshadow what the engineers have shown is possible. He's like they they want to know is like well you know can you get us off the train or you know or whatever. And he's like you know. He's like, with you, we can get there. We, I, you know, he's like, I, I can get us there. He's like, I can't promise New Eden will support life for long, but I, but the tail knows neither can this train because the train is, I guess, finally it's like deterior. It's run down. You know, it's, it, they've been doing this for so long now. So they've suffered under Melanie's rule before. They can't go back to that. They're not sure um, if they can trust him. But one dude's like, let's get it done. And then they raised their weapons. Weapons. Then they're gonna side with Leighton. So even though he lied, they're like, okay, this has got to be better than than what we had before. Roche comes into the night car. Wilford greets him, and Roche says that he, you know, he's like, I don't take murder lightly, and you know, you've just added three of my men, whatever. And he's like, so there's like some little squabble. And then Wilford says that you know they're just there to keep both sides separate. So Roche announces that if anyone is is there in a night car against her will, they are free to leave with them. So Osweiler like perks up, and then so does like. Audrey and Wilford laughs. He's he says that he's like, oh, we're good. And then Audrey kind of backs down. So Osweiler goes to leave, and a new Coldman guy grabs him by the throat. LJ kind of like stands up, but then she backs down. She's like, I'm not going with him. So Wilford tells the the Coldman, uh, Boki, whatever, to show Osweiler the way out. So he lifts him over his head and he he tosses him at like a couple brakemen. So Wilford just laughs. Audrey's just, she's like, okay, whatever. She's just drinking, like just chugging down, you know, another drink. And LJ, you can see she looks a little concerned. So Ruth brings Alex, she must have found Alex. She brings Alex to see Melanie and she t tells Alex, she's like, go easy on her. And Alex's like, I heard stories on you about how ruthless you were. And, uh, you know, Melanie's like, well, can we sit? And Alex's like, congratulations. You know, who, who knew you could make your move literally right after we saved your life? So she's not happy with her. Melanie says that, you know, she's like, you have to look at this objectively. You know, if, if you can't, then you lost your ways as an engineer. And Alex says that, you know, 
all she needs to do is speak to Leighton before you know this goes any further. So Melanie and Leighton meet under the train, those little like a uh, service cars thing, whatever. So he thanks her for meeting so they can discuss the facts. And she says that, you know, he never disclosed the risk. You know, he's putting all their eggs in one basket. The track is not tested. And he, he tells her, he's like, take the turn or the tail army will do it for you. And she's like, really? She's like, we both know it's a long march to the engine. And Till's like, you don't have the forces to, to defend the, you know, the train. And she's like, well, we can hold us hold them off long enough and ruth's like and then what melanie says that they wait they until they know it's safe and alex is like don't do that she's like don't change the course you know the young people want to get off melanie says you know how can i i let you do that you know she wants alex with her and alex is like then you'll have to take the turn so melanie gets back in her her little car thing so then she tells ruth she's like in or out and ruth's like i can't let you you know, she's like, I can't let her go on her own. So she gets in with her. And then she, uh, she tells the others, you know, this isn't over. So Till says they got to make their move now. So the Taylor start rushing forward. Javi calls Ben and he's like, why are we slowing? And he's like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. He's like, I'm not breaking. And Javi's like, he's like, you lie like a rug. He's like, I can see it. You know, he sees like the, on the, the monitors that they have the brakes on or whatever. So he's like, it's just a little resistance. And then he's like, here comes some more. <laughs> and he hangs up. <laughs> So Zara comes in and asks Ben, she's like, can you watch over Liana? She's like, I won't be long. And he's just like, uh, okay. <laughs> so the Tailies keep rushing forward. They set up this, uh, like a big shield wall. Osweiler runs, runs up and calls out to Till. So she's like, you know, let him in. Osweiler tells Till and Leighton that Wilford took the night car. He has a dozen guys in Boki. They're like, Boki's alive? And and he's like, Audrey's there too. And Leighton's like, against her will? He's like, I'm not sure. And so Leighton assumes that she's back with Wilfred, but Till and says she's like, no, she wouldn't do that. So it's like, okay, really? Audrey makes LJ serve her more drinks, and you know she says she's like, I am the night car. And then this lady whispers to Wilfred that Zara is waiting for him in the back room. So he goes back to her. So he's like, how could I help you? So she says she wants to make sure that their arrangement will s- still stands, that her daughter will be safe no matter how this plays out. And he's like, of course. So he's like, do you trust him? Ruth tells Melanie that Leighton took Agsec without firing a shot. So basically he's holding all the cards. You know, people are still loyal to him. She asks if the, you know, the brakeman can hold him. And Ruth's like, Roche won't fight your war. You know, it's like, he serves the people. And she doesn't have the pull that she once did. Melanie's like, well, I just need an ally. And Ruth's like, not Wilford. And Melanie's like, well, I can control him. She's like, if I, you know, I have to sell my soul to save the soul of everyone on the train. She's like, so be it. And Ruth's like, sorry. She's like, I spent too long redeeming myself to go back now. And she walks out. So in the night car, people take turns punching to Coleman. Cause you know, he doesn't feel anything now. And Melanie arrives to talk to Wilford. And he says that, you know, she's a legend, but outmatched. Um, and you know, without an army. So she's down in the polls and she needs him. So she thinks if they're seen as united, most people would come to them she says that there you know there's only one way this works he's like oh here it comes she's like i'm the head head engineer she's like you retire from engineering altogether it's like it would be my train so he talks about maintaining certain areas of interest about being able to consult she's like yeah so they shake hands wilford's men down below cheer so ruth 
goes down to the resistance area, like the secret place or whatever down below where she was hiding out. There's like one person named I forget the, what I forget her name, and you know she mentions how she took all the all the cold suits that she could, so you know they're like stashing their own thing against you know so they can be prepared. Roche sits with Melanie and Wilford. And he's like, oh, what a pair you two are. And she says that they tipped the scale. Hopefully no one will want to go to war over New Eden. And he asks, he's like, do you really think Wilford will take the back seat? She's like, he's willfully retired. So she wants Roche to take his men down to show Leighton that they're holding the line, but also that things have swung their way. So he orders the men to head down the train and shield up. So they're going to be go to like prevent them from advancing. That little runner girl, she runs up and she tells them that brakemen are coming. So Roche yells to Leighton that Melanie and Wilford had joined forces against him. And he's like, sorry, man, you know, it's just numbers. So Leighton's like, are you going to force us back in the tail? And Roche is like, he, he's like, you know, discuss it amongst, you know, yourselves. He's like, you have two hours to stand down. So Leighton's like, nah, he's like, we don't need two hours. Just ask your brakemen if they're really ready to do this. So they raise their weapons. They start like pounding and cheering. Alex goes to see Melanie in the engine, and she says that she made her choice like she wanted. She left her friends. She's like, are you happy now? Then she's like, I'm pretty sure some of my friends are going to die tonight. And then she turns away. Melanie's like, you know, she's like, I don't don't want that. And she tries going after Alex. Leighton, Till, and Josie talk about, you know, that they're putting lives at risk. You know, the turn is coming. And he's like, you know, we put our put their lives at risk so many times. So, you know, there has to be a better way. Melanie's phone rings. Leighton says, this isn't to surrender or bargain. This is to acknowledge. So she thanks him for letting Alex go. And he's like, that was her choice. And then he brings up her being with Wilford. And, you know, she's using fear to bring order. And she says that, you know, he picked up the sword to draw blood. And he's like, fear or blood? Melanie says that either way, Wilford wins. And Leighton says, yeah, and then we both lose. In a night car, Wilford asks Audrey to play a song for, you know, amassing the troops. And she's like, I can't. Then Melanie comes back. She says that Leighton won't back down. She's not ordering an attack. He's like, you know, oh, just rip off the Band-Aid. And she's like, no, it's my call. And, you know, if if he wants to be relevant, he has to help her come up with another solution. So he talks about trying to move on a smaller scale. He says he may have access to something that, you know, he'd throw himself into a volcano for his daughter. So he's Wolford's basically wants to use Liana against Leighton. She looks at him and she's like, straight out of your playbook. And he's like, you know, enemy's child. He's a it's it's a proven remedy, because that's basically what he did to her. So Zara's walking with Liana. The crazy docs says that the time is now. So Wilford tells Melanie someday she'll thank him when Alex is at the helm. They arrive at this room with Zara. He says everything you need to the force of surrender. Then Melanie shuts the door, locking Boki out, and Leighton pops up and says, that's not going to happen. And then Ruth comes behind Boki, hits him with a shovel, and it like doesn't do anything with him, so he turns around, he starts like, like chasing her. <laughs> so she gets cornered, you know, she's running down the hall, and he's coming after it, and she pounds on the wall, and then that, the one other lady was in resistance, what's her name? She like drops this panel from the ceiling that hits Boki in the face, and it somehow knocks him out, just like that. Wilfred asks, he, if if they're going to work this out amicably, and Leighton says that they are, but Wilford's not coming to the table. Till and Audrey walk in, uh, He and Wilford surprises her. Melanie opens the hatch on the little train car that she was in, 
And she says that she was in there for six months. And she mentions the stimulants and all that stuff, you know, putting yourself under and coming out. He tells Leighton that, you know, he's like, oh, you're too weak to cut my throat. He's like, you're all cowards. So he gets in the little train. Audrey walks up to the door and she's like, goodbye, Joseph. And he has like a smile or she has a smile on her face. Then he, she goes and stands by, by Till and then they like, like hold hands. So Ben works up, works the controls. Josie's in her suit. She and Leighton hook the little train to the big mechanical arm thing. They lift it up out of the train, lower it onto the track next to him. Wilford hooks up the stimulant, looks looks at the controls, and he's like, now we'll see who is a real survivor. And he like puts himself under. So it was weird because he gave up. He, he didn't even put up a fight. I guess he just realized he's like, there's nothing he can do. Leighton and Melanie go on to calm together. They say that they found at the impasse. The answer is individual choice. Melanie says the train will divide at AgSec. Every passenger can choose the train with her or New Eden with Leighton. He says those who choose New Eden, you know, it's gonna, it'll be a dangerous journey. It will require a leap of faith. She says that those who stay, they know life will continue to get difficult. Bit by bit, the train is breaking down, but they will no longer run on oppression. The train will run on science and truth. So they will share the burden together. Leighton's like, thank you. Whatever your choice, find hope and respect in your neighbor's fate. Talk to your family. Say goodbye to your friends. The train will separate in just under six hours. So Till asks Audrey, she's like, you know, what do you want to do? And you know, Till's like, it was, or Audrey says that, you know, she was her best version there. And Till showed her that. And she says that, you know, she has something to give here. She can heal in her own way. So she wants to stay. Till's like, you know, I've been dreaming of getting off this train for so long, but I can't see a life on Snowpiercer anymore. And Audrey's like, even if you love me, Till like kind of pause it. And she's like, even if I loved you. So then Audrey kind of looks down and Till's like, she says, she's like, I'll see you before the train breaks. So Till goes, knocks on Roche's door. She's like fighting tears. He hugs her because you know, she, she kind of like, she's starting to fall for Audrey and they just kind of broke up, whatever. So, you know, Roche says that they're going and she says that she is too. So then he's like, hey, at least we'll be together. Melanie goes up to Ben and asks how long does he think the Snowpiercer can hold. And he's like, if you're lucky, you know, going from crisis to crisis, maybe another decade, maybe two. She says, she's like, I need you. And he says that he's like, I needed you too. And you know, he's like, I followed your science and decision of getting off. And it, and it nearly, you know, it, that nearly killed you. She says her decision is still there. It's just down the line. So she has to make sure it's safe. And he says that he will serve with her for the rest of his days, whatever. But if she wants him to stay, he needs the rest of her and she's like she says that she's like i'm here i'm yours and so then they, they kiss and then he's like well new eden can wait so he's gonna stay with melanie on the train miles we, we who we never see so miles tells josie and layton that melanie and ben are the best engineers so he wants to stay and keep learning from them but it's like he's never even in the engine room with them it's like how is he learning anything from them so they say to her goodbye, you know, one tail, you know, it was like no crying, whatever. Leighton asks Josie, she's like, she asks if, if she's with him, whatever. And, and she's like, yeah, and they kiss. Osweiler goes to LJ. She's like in, at the market bar and she's like angry. She's trying to get service or whatever. He says that, you know, there's still time for her to come with. And she's, she's like, you're chickening out. And you know, she's like, you don't even know what's out there. She's like, you want to go out there and be a potato fighter? And, and he's like, I like that, like not knowing whatever. So then he says goodbye, and then she's like, I'm dropping Osweiler, you know, from her name or whatever. 
And she's like, I'm going to come out on top. I'm a survivor. And she kind of like starts crying a little. Alex finds, she goes and walks into like the, the bedroom quarters, whatever. Melanie kind of like packed for her. So there's like socks. And she says, that, you know, she's put her, her jacket in her. She survived in. They hug. Alex, like, you know, she has to go. You know, she doesn't remember what Earth is like. So she has to find out. And Melanie's like, you know, this is your choice. And, and Melanie's like, you know, you're going to be okay. You know, you don't have to worry about me. And she's like, I love you. I'm so proud of you. You know, sorry for what you have to go through, blah, blah, you know, all this stuff. Ruth talks to Tristan about, you know, the hospitality protocol. So he's going to take over hospitality. And, you know, he goes to the, to the mic and he's like, five minutes from separation. Those on Big Alice, farewell and good luck. And Taylor start like pounding on her chest. One tail, one tail. Melanie says to Leighton, she says, like, I guess we're the guardians of each other's loved ones now since Miles is staying with her and Alex is going with him. And he's like, well, that gives me hope. So he says that, you know, he's like, he'll take care of, of Alex. And she's like, I know you will. So they hug, they say goodbye. Till looks at Audrey and she shakes her head and she looks at Leighton. She's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, go. So she goes through the door, you know, to the other side of the train, goes to Audrey, they kiss, the doors close, Melanie and Alex stare at each other, put their hands by the glass, whatever. Ben starts separating, um, he says goodbye to Javi, and then the trains go down separate tracks at the turn, so it turns off. So it's like, it's weird, because Javi was with Melanie, but now he's going to New Eden, because Ben's going, is staying with Melanie, and you know, they need an engineer. So it's like, did Javi really want to go, even though he knows that they're lying and he was mad that they're lying? LJ is is kind of like in this little alley, whatever, back corner. She's sitting with her dad's eyes. She's crying, and then she starts laughing. So she puts the eye in her mouth like she does because she's just a complete weirdo. This guy walks by and kind of bumps into her, and she starts choking on the eyeball. And then she like falls to the ground. And because she's kind of like tucked away in this corner, no one sees her. So she's just lying on the ground like choking an eye and that and we don't see what happens to her so we don't know if she dies if she, if she <laughs> her death is choking on her dad's eye glass eyeball <laughs> alex says that you know that the track is so bad and that the train is like really starting to shake and she's like you know we're shaking the wheels off miles looks over their train they have solid numbers and melanie's like like yeah we lost some weight Ben is, you know, he's looking at monitors. She's like, can you still see them? So he's like trying to track like, you know, how, how things are going for them. Audrey starts singing in like car, blah, blah, blah. I remember what song it was. Leighton says that he's like, shouldn't they be at the warm spot? And Alex like, we should be. Then Javi, Javi tells, he's like, he says at the front of the train, at the front of the train is an old trestle bridge. And Leighton's like, the what? So he looks in binoculars, there's like this old rickety bridge there. And Javi's like, yeah. He's like, why didn't you tell me this before? He's like, well, I didn't want to worry you. So he's like, hit the bridge at full speed. So things are falling, shaking in, in a train. There's sparks on the track. Um, it's like you see this one car is like starting to come off the tracks, just like shaking, and it, things go dark inside. Then Javi asks Alex, like, what's the temperature? So she's like, goes to check, minus 10. Then she's like, no, wait, it's at minus 5 now. It's climbing. So then they look outside. They're like, it's melting. So they, they put their coats on because they stopped the train. They, they go outside. There's like this lake there and there's like mountains. You can see that the bridge is busted up in front of them. And they're outside now. You know, their faces are exposed. Several people get off. They feel the sun. They feel the water. We see Osweiler, Roche, his daughter, Ruth, Zara, Liana, Leighton, um, and Josie. And then Leighton and Josie kiss. So the, the thing is... If Snowpiercer would have gone with, 
they would be going at a lot faster. They'd have a lot more momentum and they would have like flown off the bridge because, you know, the bridge is busted up. So there's no way they would have been able to stop. So it's, it's kind of, kind of a good thing that they didn't <laughs> all go. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, then it cuts to three months later, Melanie's, um, you know, she's like typing something or whatever, writing something, doing something. Then she sees like this big flare in a distance. But then it, when we, the camera kind of zooms into it, it's like pretty big. It's, it's, it's it kind of looks like a flare, but it's like really big. And then it looks like there's bits in there. So like, was it an explosion? So it's like, what the heck was that about? Cause if it's three months later, did they like circle round? So they're close to the area. And what does that mean? So what happened in those three months? Because, you know, obviously they got off and things seemed okay. So no idea. And then again, uh, with the news, Clark Gregg is joining the next season. So with him joining the cast, what does that mean? Is, is he just some other random person that's been on the train that we haven't seen for, for three seasons? Which could be entirely possible because, you know, there's more than just a core people. So he could have been anywhere. He just, you know, didn't maybe didn't have a role. Now that they're on New Eden, he, you know, it's time for him to step up for whatever. Or if he's still on Snowpiercer, same thing. You know, maybe it's he has to step up to take care of, you know, fill in the, the spot of someone who was doing something else. Or what might be possible, is there some sort of group of survivors in the New Eden area? You know, it, has it been warmer for a while? Have they somehow survived all this time? And what does that mean? So is there like this group of savages or what? Like what's going to happen? Is he like leading all these people that are going to take them captive? Or we no idea. The other thing is they're, they're changing uh, showrunners. I think this is like the second time the show's changing showrunners. So I don't know what that means that they've gone through different showrunners. But this show's been been good for the most part, like all three seasons. So no idea when the next season's starting. I don't know if they've even announced it, but I, th I think they've started production already or they're going to. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. But that was, uh, that was the end of, of season three. So I, I, with each episode, which each season, I'm kind of blown away that they're able to keep the story still going. So that, that's a good thing. All right. With the flash season eight, episode nine phantoms, Who's going to level up this week? So Dion, uh, the still force dude, checks on Iris. He says she's all good. And she's like, really? She said she's been forgetting things lately. She tells him about dinner with her dad. You know, that she lost time. She mentions the train station, you know, that he was there. So he's like, oh, he's like, I think I'd remember something like that. And then she asks, uh, how does someone catch a time sickness and he's like well i don't know but i intend to find out so then he says that he you know he's picking up mutations like ones that he's never seen before so it could be a side effect of his treatments and she's like well what should i tell barry and he's like well nothing for now he's like just chill he's like as soon as he figures it out he'll he'll find her wherever she is it's like uh, shouldn't she tell barry right away it, it seems like crazy kind of crazy not to tell him so we see barry frost cecile and joel they're looking over uh, murder victims um i can't remember was chester here at this point so barry asked frost like where's caitlin because they, they could use her and she's like since she went all in with marcus she's been doing a lot of like last minute spontaneous things oh not then at this point chester comes in and he, he was up all night building a cold fusion alarm module for their satellites and he's got this big grin on his face and 
and then he like looks at the pictures of victims hanging and and his face just like you know goes from like huge smile goofy grin to just like blink and so then they say since the powers are cryokinetic i think they said that the module will detect any cold pockets in the city the downside is they won't know where their baddie is until it flames on so barry's like well as soon as they get a hit he'll be fast enough to stop them so and then then chester's like staring at the pictures again so it's like what what is his obsession with you know these burn victims or murdered victims so then we see sue dibney she's in iris's office and allegra's there so sue's back which is i i I really like her character i like the actress playing her i think she does a good job um she says that like since the black hole organization is gone that she's in charge with revitalizing the family business so she's um just out and she's like oh i'm visiting her you know her favorite tenants you know iris and i think she owns a building i guess she's headed to coast city uh she says you know if she's lucky she'll get a catch a glimpse of the ccp because there's been sightings of someone walking through walls or something like that so they use a hashtag coast city phantom so allegra she i I don't know if she's trying to avoid like getting away from that that taylor but she's like you know that sounds like a new meta and she's like you know she wonders how they got their powers on the west coast sue says uh, actually she runs into quite a few metas around the world you know there's a, a lot out there with the a latent meta gene so all it takes is the right set of circumstances for their powers to manifest so allegra thinks that coast city's first meta could be a good story and sue's like like yeah it'd be great to have have the company so again i think allegra just she just wants to leave she wants to avoid taylor so sue asks allegra she's like oh you don't mind staying in like posh five-star hotels and then iris jumps up she's like i'll go and she's like really dude and because like allegra's like surprised and iris is like it's like oh you know allegra can can watch over things while i'm gone and sue's like don't you have a blossoming media empire to run and she's like well i can i can run things remotely and she's like if if the story pops it could lay the groundwork for a west coast expansion it's like that doesn't make any sense okay so here's the thing iris's position she should not be handling little stories like this or you know, any sort of stories she has to run the bigger picture this is exactly exact well not exactly pretty almost exactly like what i had to do with uh you know when i when i was a senior entertainment man what was it my i don't even remember my title now when i was running the the uh entertainment division for GameSpot, where i you know i couldn't be you know as much as i wanted to i couldn't be writing all these little stories here and there even you know there's if it's something cool or exciting or if it was like big news you know i was doing different things i had to be doing other things and you know looking at what are we going to cover what's 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 our focus and you know where where, what type of stories can we do with this and that and like who do we need to reach out to who can't we reach out to who do we need to try to try to find and contact and and you know where are we going to go next what events are coming up and so it, there's just a, a lot of like big picture stuff that you need to to look at so covering a story as as cool or groundbreaking as it might be you have to leave that to someone else you can't just like leave the office even though yes i was going to conventions and doing stuff like that but that's because at the same time you know we're kind of limited i didn't have an office full of people even though i don't think she has that many and and the fact that you know she wants to go out there and it sounded like she i don't know if it was just a, the posh five-star hotels that made her want to go or if it's just that she just wants to get out herself because of the stuff that she's dealing with but it just seemed seemed very selfish and 
kind of crappy that you know allegra has this really cool idea and, sh- and she's like stealing the idea because she's like this could be a big thing and and uh, west coast expansions like, whatever dude so alarm goes off at star labs chester gives barry the address he zips over there but he's too late and the black fire on a body is, is it's like still kind of oozing i don't know if it's just like going out so then a little bit later the police are there you know barry's and his you know civilian guys and he you know, CSI people, he whispers and tells Chester that there was like a black fire that put itself out. And he's like, how is that even possible? Um, and maybe because it was a freaking meta that did this. So this wasn't a natural fire. What kind of stupid question is that? So it turns out the, the victim's name is Park Parker, or was it Parker? Parker the, the Safano or something like that. She taught yoga classes at the studio where they're at. Uh, Chester, like when he's, he sees a, Barry uncovers the body and he's just like, he freaks out. Something's going on with Chester and these, these victims. So, it, and it, you can see there's like a, still a little black fire burning or something like that. So Barry's like, oh, we need some way to preserve it. And Chester says that he and Ray Palmer, name drop, invented this canister device for the foundation thing that Ray Palmer started and with his dad's, uh, with uh, Chester's dad's name or whatever. So he's like, the problem is it's back at his lab. So he describes it to Barry Barry vibrates out of there. You know, he doesn't sip out this time. It's like, why does he do this all the time? Because every time he goes, stuff's like flying all over. And Chester's like, oh, no, never get used to that. It's like, how can you not be used to that by now? So he comes back uh, and it looks kind of like one of those bank money capsule things. <laughs> so Chester puts it on top of the flame and he's able to capture it. So now he can use this to change the settings and alarm module thing where so they can catch a killer. So at Co City, Iris triangulated all the phantom sightings off of social media, and it turns out they all occurred downtown. So you you have no idea like how much my eyes were rolling at this part. So she somehow I don't know, she's looking up all the hashtag stuff. It's like, oh, it's sighted over here. I mean, I guess it would work, but okay. So Sue's like, wow, you're really pulling out all the stops. It's like, oh, because she looked up uh, social media hashtags. So that's pulling out all the stuff. I don't know if she's being sarcastic because that I think maybe that's something I like about Sue is she, she's a little snarky sometimes. Or, you know, she's just, you know, whatever, a little sarcastic. So then she's like, <laughs> so as they're, they're walking, she asks Iris, she's like, how are things going? So, and, you know, how are things with you and Barry? And Iris, <laughs> she's like, well, Barry is leveling up. Like, oh my god! Every single episode, she's like, he's firing at all you know cylinders with Team Flash, and then, then she's like, wait, what's with all the prying? And Sue says that you know it seems like things are great, and she's busy, but she's really determined to make this meta the streak part two. So she's like, Allegra could have handled the story and taken some of this off your plate. So she's like, is there anything you want to share? Then Iris's phone goes off, so it kind of saves her from answering. Somehow the star labs uplink tracker device thing or tracker detected it. So if it seems like that's kind of cheating. So she has this app that only star lab people have, you know, only team flash has. So she's trying to find, you know, uncover the story, but she has this app that's detecting dark matter or whatever. 
So they go to a Coast City Jitters. It's like, really? It has to be a Jitters? It couldn't be like anything else like that? So there's two women in there. There's one at a table, like reading and, you know, having coffee or about to get coffee, waiting for a coffee. And then there's another lady behind the counter. So they're like, it could be either one of them. But I feel like this is like an invasion of privacy. It's like if someone has developed powers or whatever, whether they're doing anything, I mean, there's hasn't been any reports of crimes or or any heroic acts. It's just like someone walking through walls. Okay, maybe you'd be a little suspicious. Is this person stealing? Are they being a voyeur, you know, peeping Tom? But if someone has these powers, it's like what gives you the right to uncover that? Like, oh, you must have meta powers. So Iris says she's going to get closer, but then Sue stops her. She's like, oh, give it a minute. So then the girl at the table stupidly closes her notebook, reaches back. You know, there's a backpack hanging off her chair. And then she phases the notebook inside. She doesn't bother to look around to see if anyone's watching. So then they they know it's her. So Iris goes up to her, introduce herself from the Central City Citizen Media. And she's like, never heard of it. <laughs> and Iris is like, that's fair. <laughs> and she's like, and this is, you know, the Sue, she's like, this is her landlord. And she's like, I'm still not interested. So Iris says, you know, she's wondering if, if she could help with the story on the central city phantom. And Sue's like, you know, maybe you've heard of him or her. So this is, she, this kind of gets her attention. Iris is like, you know, we don't want to cause any trouble. We just want to know if we can help. And they're like, what's your name? And she's like, I'm not telling you that. Then the barista calls out order for Tinya, Tinya, T-I-N-Y-A, which is such a weird, unique name. So they know her name now. <laughs> At first, when, when she said it, I was like, is, maybe that's not her real name. Maybe, you know, it's like a Starbucks thing where they like purposely write the wrong name or mess up your name. So then she wants to know, like, what does Iris want? You know, she's like, does she want her as her next headline? Iris like, no. She's like, we have experience with Meta. You know, we can help people. And she's like, have you heard of The Flash? But it almost seems like she hasn't. So Iris is like, you know, eight years ago, I helped bring out Flash's story. So it's, again, is this all about Iris telling the story? It's because the world deserves to know. It's like, no, so you can get the byline, make the headline and make a name for yourself. So she's hoping that she can do that with her. And I'm just like, you ego much? It's like, <laughs> this is all about you and, you know, being able to, Iris, I'm shaking my fist at you, Iris. Then Tinya asks, she's like, how'd you find me anyways? And Iris is like, well, Meta's like, you release a certain kind of energy and this app on my phone can track it. And, you know, she like puts the phone in, you know, on, the, on the table. So then Tinya looks at it, she touches the phone, like kind of like phases her finger into the screen and it sort of like shorts out the phone. And she's like, try finding me now. And then she gets up and leaves because you know, her coffee is there. So Sue's like, yeah, that went well, <laughs> which again, this is why I like Sue. Back at Star Labs, Chester can't pinpoint the energy to any known meta in their database. So Barry's going to go talk to Kramer. You know, he's going to fill her in. He's like, now that she's part of team, the team, she should know what's going on. And maybe she can help them find a connection with all the three victims. So Chester, um, he's like, okay. He's like, uh, just me and a scary black flame. And he's like, starts stressing. And he, he thinks he hears something behind him. And he tells himself, okay, relax, Chester. And he's like, always talking to himself. Then he sees like the black flame is gone from the container. And it's like on a work table behind him. It's like getting bigger. It's like kind of like burning through, eating away everything. And then I think it's like shoots a blast at him or something like that. I don't know, because I like cut the commercial. And then, you know, he's like backing away. Because then it's like, wait, did he not get blasted? But then... He starts yelling, fire, help, fire. And then, you know, he just, like puts up his arm to try to block it. Like, okay, yeah, that is going to block fire, right? 
your arm is is fireproof then allegra frost and cecile wake him up in the lab so he was just dreaming the flame is still in container so he's like oh yeah it was just a bad dream and cecile's like is is that it she's like i can feel how frightened you are and then he's like oh maybe i just need some coffee and he he leaves so cecile says that she can feel he's really struggling it's like okay isn't that a little again invasion of privacy it's like maybe there's stuff going on did he say anything does he want them to know so cecile asks the other two if they've noticed his behavior lately and allegra's like yeah and frost says you know asks she's like if something's bothering him why doesn't he say so and she's like he's the most touchy-feely person i know and cecile's like oh it must be super personal so yeah that's why you shouldn't pry but allegra's like he'll talk to me and again ego much you know she's like so she knows that he'll like spill the beans to her so Sue tells Iris that since her phone is toast, um, she's downloading Chester's Dark Matter app. So it's like, is this available on the App Store? It's like, can anyone just get this? But she looks at her phone. And she's like, it's going to take an hour and nine minutes to download. She's like, oh, I should just upgrade my whatever or something. So Iris uh, says Tinya can walk through walls so she could be anywhere by now. But it's like, who cares? She hasn't done anything. So they sit to strategize. Sue says that, you know, can he talk about what's really going on? And she asks Iris, like, why is she really here? And um, then she says, Iris is like, well, you know, it's pretty far out. She's like, you know, last year I started feeling weird. So the still force took a look at me and saw that, you know, she contracted a time sickness. So what that means is still a mystery, but lately she feels like she's been losing time. And Sue talks about when she found out her parents were involved with Black Hole, she had a fear of what was going on and she just had to deal with it. So Iris has to do the same thing. Iris says that Deanne could show up tomorrow with bad news, but Sue's like, well, you can't worry about that now. And then she thinks about Tinya. It's like, what if she's not the one running? So Allegra tries talking to Chester says that you know what he's doing is tough examining the bodies and stuff like that you know he's not alone if he needs anyone to talk to and so he like hesitates but then um he's like maybe about to talk but then he sees the flame is not in the container so this is like happening again then the counter starts up with the black growing flame so he tells her uh that it she's like oh it didn't get out it's just another dream she's like no it's not the flames are getting bigger Allegra, Allegra hits the phone app alert. Barry arrives and he tries like arm fanning the flames out, but it doesn't do anything. And then, then it, it just goes out. So Allegra says that, you know, first Chuck has a dream about the fire, then it attacks them. It's like, why would anyone want to hurt Chuck anyways? So the alarm didn't go off because Chuck said that Star Labs was left out of the range, which, you know, it makes sense. Why would you want the alarm to go off there but you know, they didn't think it would be there so frost is like you know maybe you should fix that you know, she's <laughs> and i really she, she's being kind of like sarcastic too and i thought that was funny i don't i don't know why so barry says that it seems that it can come and go as it pleases and cecile's like says like a ghost so chester like looks at her and then she suddenly looks at him and he's like i gotta get some air so she must have picked something like sent something so she's so nosy and she's like oh he's hurting really bad it's like if this meta can get into star labs uh you know they it, the meta could be anywhere so barry's like well then what if it's controlling the flames remotely you know the the shape that they saw in the, the fire didn't have a face or any identifying marks so barry wants to put star labs on lockdown no one gets in or out but him if someone is controlling the flames remotely then he's going to search the city until he finds them so it's like, are you going to look in every single like building and room 
That doesn't make any sense. So Tinya <laughs> goes into an apartment or goes to an apartment. She's like the door is locked. She looks around. Then she walks through the walls. So she goes inside. There's like dust on a table. And then Iris is there. She's like, she's not here. And Tinya's like, I don't know how you found me. But she's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> but it's weird. So it's like they're obviously in someone's apartment so why why are iris and and sue there because then sue has a sphere and she's like oh we're friends with star lab so they sent us this destabilizer things order to block blocks people's like her for a three block radius and she says that or tinya's like i thought you help people and sue's like well iris does you know me it depends on the mood so tinya asks she's like why do you even care and iris says that they know that she's looking for her mother it looked like her whole life was jammed into her backpack. So Iris started looking through Coast City's missing persons da- database and Tinya's pick came up. So she ran away from foster care. Her birth mother worked at that jitters and lived at that apartment. So Tinya goes on that, oh, then you must also know that my mother abandoned me when I was born and never called to check on me to see if I even survived. So now she's like, she has these powers, so she has a chance to be somebody. And Iris is like, just let us help you find her. So Allegra talks to Chester again, you know, because she's so nosy, and he says that he's going to be fine. But he, you know, uh, he w- wonders like, well, if that's even possible. So he, he's about to tell her something, and then he's like, never mind. So she's a really good friend, which is why he has to tell her. He's like the person in the fire. He knows who it was. It it wasn't. Wait, did I say Cecile? It was Allegra. So Allegra's being. They're both nosy. So he's talking to Allegra right now. So this is why he's telling her. He's like, he he knows who the person was. He's like, it wasn't a new fire meta. It was a ghost. <laughs> and then he shows her an article about his father. So he died in this fire. He's like, somehow he's come back. And she says that she was there, that whatever was there didn't have a face. When And when it was there, it's like he could feel it. He says that when it happened, when his father died, when he was 24, he could feel the heat from his father's wreckage. He died alone. You know, I guess he got in like some car accident. And he just like died, but somehow Chester was able to feel that. And she says that he told her about his father and what a great what a great man he was and great father. So she's like, he wouldn't do something like this. And Chester's like, well, it has to be him. She's like, I can feel it. And he says that you know he was there at the crash site. Then the alarm goes off. So they walk, start walking down the hall, and then like the lights go out. So there's multiple cold fires are, are like spreading, and they're like all headed their way. So they they tar- start talking about like the dangers, which you know maybe Star Labs should be shut down because they're talking about that like if the fire melts down their system, then like some all this bad stuff would leak all over Central City, and this was part of the problem when they wanted to shut it down before that. There's just such you know dangerous stuff there. So Barry and Frost, they go to fight the fire in just one room. Cecile feels this massive wave of despair, and it's not coming from Chester. So she can feel the pain of thousands of people, maybe more. The fire takes the form of Chester's dad, and he's like, time to come home, Chester. And he's like, so sorry, you know, I couldn't save you. And Allegra's like, that's not your dad. And Cecile says, all the sadness is coming from that thing. And then she's like, Allegra's right. That's not your father. It's not Chester's father's. All the sadness is moving from Chester to this thing. It's becoming part of it. So she's like, it's feeding off his grief. So he has to let it go. And, you know, then it says that it loves him. Cecile says that it wants him to stay trapped inside his sadness. So she's telling Chester, she's like, you got to let it go. He's like, I can't. And Allegra tells him, she's like, think about the last thing you remember about your dad and hold on to it. 
uh, you know, as your dad would want you to be safe. You know, your dad was proud of, you know, what you were doing to save the world. He, he'd be proud of his son. So then Chester finally says, he's like, oh, I'm not going to go with you. He's like, I'm staying with my friends. He's like, they're my real family. And he's like, you're not my dad. He's like, why don't you just go to hell? <laughs> and then the flame, it kind of flames up and like fizzles out. <laughs> it's like, okay. So then they're all sitting around Star Labs. Joe says it sounds like they had a pretty close call. <laughs> I guess that's all it took. Joe says that the first victim, Stan, recently lost all his belongings to a foreclosure. Dar Donna, the bartender, her sister died last week. And then the yoga instructor lost her fiance and childhood sweetheart to cancer. So this new meta eats grief and sorrows. The flames, they says something like the flames aren't a new meta, but the flames are being used by a killer. So it's like, wait, what? So I was a little confused by that. Cecile and Allegra talk to Chester Lone. They say that, you know, they've all suffered from loss. Dealing with loss is what makes them family. Then maybe Cecile, she kind of picks up on a, a vibe between the two. And then she like, she excuses herself. So Iris uh, video chats with uh, Barry. She says that uh, Sue owns like this whole city block. So she's, and Barry's like, oh, so she's rich, rich. And uh, so she's in this like nice hotel room. And Iris is like, Tinya sleeping in a suite next door because she has no place else to go. And, you know, she's like, maybe they can help her. And Barry says that he's glad that Iris decided to stay there a little longer because it's not safe in Central City. And then Dion shows up and, you know, after she gets off with Barry and he's like, it ain't good news. And that's where it ends. So uh, I don't know what to show what's going on here, but it's, <laughs> it's getting a little ridiculous because it, it wasn't always like this. I don't think maybe, maybe, I don't know. Okay, then with Superman and Lois, Season 2, Episode 9, 30 Days and 30 Nights. It's 30 Days and 30 Nights. I'm trying to think about that that title. So it starts off, we, you know, Allie's at the DOD, and she hears some footsteps. This other lady, this uh, like a DOD agent, lets her out with a, a Sam's badge that Lucy took. And she's like, I knew she would pull through or whatever. So then they go back to the mines. But it's weird that Lucy's not there. So I don't know why she, where is she at? So Allie's like wearing one of those like hazmat suit things or whatever. The lady said that Lucy said she's the only one who can go through. So I guess that's why Lucy's not there. But I, I don't know why she's hiding out. She puts on, on the, the helmet. She starts walking forward, floats up, and goes through the portal. But it's like, how? why would she be able to go? I mean, does she doesn't have the pendant anymore, I don't think. So I don't, I don't get why she would be able to. Superman hears that Allie broke out of the DOD, so he goes to the mine. He sees Agent Wu, the, the lady there, and she's like, you're too late. She already made it to the other side. And he's like, well, then I'll bring her back. And she's like, you can't. Not in that. Or something like that. So he starts flying in like a circle or something like that. Like, I don't know. It's like, what are you, you trying to do? I, maybe, I don't know if he's building up speed or something like that. And then his body kind of starts to, to crumble as he like, goes through the portal. So then, um, I forget how much time passed by because Lois is looking at the news and you know, she's like, Where is Superman? You know, all, all this stuff's happening. John and Nata are working at their place. You know, the news is you know, basically saying the same thing. Jonathan's doing his homework while working at the store. Candace comes in. Jordan's practicing, you know, training with Sam. Lois, you know, we see her lying in bed alone. You know, Clark's not there. More training. Um, he misses a call from Sarah. He, he misses like a debate or something uh, between Lana and Mayor Dean. So, you know, Sarah probably called him to, to go there. 
we see this plane's about to crash. John Henry flies in his you know steel suit. He catches it. So then there's other new man of steel like on the news. So then it cuts to a month later. So I'm not sure how much time passed. Has it only been a month? Because you know that would make sense with the 30 days, 30 nights. But whatever. So Lois is trying to deal with Clark still being missing. Uh, there's like she's staring at a computer screen. It's like something about a school board. I don't know if it was like if it's a meeting about Jonathan. Because like part of it was blurred out. It was, it was just like weird how how you couldn't read the whole thing. You can really read very much. Jonathan comes out and says he, he's ready when she is, and she's like, "Where's your brother?" And he's like listening again. So he's standing out on in the back trying to listen for dad. And Lois is like, "You know, you don't have to keep doing this." He's like, oh, "I'm just trying to find him." And she's like, "I don't think even your dad could hear her through a portal." And then he's like, you know, he's been through a month. You know, he's never been gone this long. And she's like, he he probably has good reason. She's like, he'll be back. So then they they leave. Nat is trying unsuccessfully to make breakfast, trying to make waffles. So John, um, he's flying back home. And then he's he gets there and he's like, we should probably get going. And she's like, no, oh, let me just you know just do this right there. He's like, there'll probably be food at the rally. He's like, you know, we're gonna be late. So the voting polls are officially open for for, for mayors. Kent's arrive. Lana comes up. She's like, oh, no Clark. And Lois is like, he really wanted to be here, but, you know, he's still on assignment in Metropolis, which is weird because, you know, he's not working at the planet anymore. So it's like, what, what is he doing? So, they, you know, they had to come up with a lie. And Lana's like, oh, it must be a really big story. You know, as they talk, then they hear, you should be ashamed of yourself. So a lady's talking to Jonathan. He's like, what? <laughs> and, you know, kind of, you know, he's always a kind of good spirit. She's like, okay. And she's like, forgetting the football season canceled. She's like, my son is a senior and this is the last time he can put on a uniform. Now he doesn't get to. And Lana's like, uh, this isn't a time, Barb. And then the, the coach is like, well, Barb's not wrong. You know, a lot of people feel this way. And Lana's like, again, this this isn't the time and the place to, you know, discuss this. So then Jonathan just grabs a clipboard. He's he's like, yeah, I, I think I'll just go door to door, you know, and he starts to leave, you know, trying to, because they're there to make sure people are going to vote, you know, they're already aware of the voting, you know, all this stuff. So then Jordan and Sarah are going to make phone calls to make sure people vote, whatever. And she asks if everything's okay. You know, she's like, since I've been talking to Aubrey, you've been distracted. And at while she's talking to him, he's kind of listening because he hears like some big emergency is happening. There's a big fire. So he gets up. He's like, oh, yeah, sorry. He's like, I, I got to go check on John. He's like, I'll be right back. So we see firefighters are trying to put out this big, huge fire. Then it, it's kind of like swirling inside. So it's almost like these little tornado fires in there. And Kyle's like, what the heck? Nat is talking with Sarah. Then she sees her dad. She sees John Henry like smiling and laughing while talking to Lana. So she gets up. She's like, I need some air. And Sarah's like, what the heck? John Henry Caesar, he's like, Nat? And, but, you know, she keeps going. And then he hears, like, sirens. So Kyle, it's weird. He's just kind of, like, sitting here in front of the fire. It's like, what are, what are you doing, dude? And then he gets hit by a blast. He gets, like, knocked back, slams into something. He's, so he's, like, knocked out. Then uh, suddenly Jordan shows up. And, you know, he he blows out, like, a bit of a, of a fire or whatever. He grabs Kyle. And, you know, the, the flames are coming towards him like from behind. So he kind of does, like, this flying leap thing he kind of he says he he flew i guess he kind of flew or whatever and he smashes through a wall and then steals there like behind him and he's like you need to get out of here now and jordan kind of smiles and like zips off nat is looking at a picture of her mom of her lois on her phone and stuff like that and then sarah comes you know she's like outside they're at the, at the school like at the gym so she's like nat sitting outside the gym and then sarah comes up she's like i was like oh, are you feeling better now 
and she says something about like, oh yeah, my, my dad's blatantly flirting with your married mom. And Sarah's like, well, married is kind of a strong word right now, but you know, for them, if that helps. And she's like, it doesn't. Then she's like, I'm sorry, that was rude. Then she's like, today's the day my mom died. And Sarah's like, I'm so sorry. She's like, I had no idea. And that's like, you know, how could you? She's like, my dad is out here living his best life like she never existed. Sarah's like, well, maybe he's dealing with it differently. And that's like, you know, I spent an hour this morning trying to recreate her homemade waffle recipe and he didn't even notice. So it's like, yeah, it's it sucked to lose a parent, but, but Nat is like really making this, it's all about her. You know, he's, he's out there, he's saving lives while she's at home, you know, feeling sad. And, and again, it sucks, but it's like, sorry, kid, you know, the world sucks. And John is trying to make sure other people don't lose their loved ones. Like she lost her mom. So it's like, that's just how it goes. So Nat's has a, you know, she just wants to do something to remember her. You know, her mom, Sarah's like, well, maybe we, you know, we we can do something. And she mentions how every day on Dia de los Muertos, they make like an altar for her grandpa. You know, their way of celebrating his life. And that's like, yeah, that'd be really nice. And Sarah's like, okay, you know, I'll get the candles and the flowers. We just need a picture of your mom. And that's like, uh, I don't have one. And Sarah's like, oh, it doesn't have to be a perfect picture. And she like reaches for her phone, and that kind of like, you know, flinches and grabs it. And that she's like, sorry. She's like, I just need to find my dad. So Nat goes up to Lois and Lana, you know, because they're talking. And she's like, have you seen my dad? And she's like, he was just here. And then Nat's like, can you just please take me home? And Lois like, of course. And then Lana gets a call about something. So Kyle's sitting in the hospital. Lana, Sarah, and Sophie show up. And he, like, stands up. He's like, oh, I told him not to call. And, you know, he's like, I- I'm fine. Just, you know, bumps and bruises. And Sarah's like, you almost died in a fire? And he's like, yeah. It was like a strange one at that. Then Lana gets a call. So Emily, the the other mom that was like mad at her for a while, whatever, uh, she's like freaking out or something's going on. And you know, Mayor Dean's like up to something. So Lana's like, you know, we need to go. And Sarah's like, do you need anything? And he's like, it's like, no, your time is better spent with your mom right now. It's like, I'll see you tonight. So Jordan comes home. Jonathan's there, and Jonathan's like, where were you? And he's like, well, there's this crazy fire, and I had to, you know, save Mr. Cushing, Sarah's mom. And he says that. I, I got cornered and I flew and John's like flew. He's like, no way. And he's like, well, you know, it wasn't very far or anything. And John's like, who cares, man? It still counts. Then, uh, then he's like, John Henry showed up and he had like a fire extinguisher in his suit. So John's like, did he see you? And Jordan's like, he just saw some guy in a hoodie. And John's like, yeah, but doesn't he have like facial ID and biometrics? And, you know, cause he's like, if John Henry saw you, you really don't want mom to find out about, you know, your vigilante stuff from someone else. And Jordan's like, well, if I tell her and blow my cover for no reason, and Jonathan's like, take it for someone who's been on her bad side for a month, it's not worth the risk. So Jordan's like, was like, yeah, you know, sorry for what he had to go through at, at the rally for that lady. And Jonathan's like, it's, it's fine. You know, it's like, I probably deserve it. Dad would think so. And Jordan's like, there's no way he's still hangry. And, you know, he says that Jonathan's like, you know, mom said this was the angriest she'd ever seen him. And Jordan's like, you know, you're working overtime at the store, you're doing online classes, you know, and Johnson's like, none of that matters. You know, he says he doesn't know how to fix things with dad. He doesn't even know if he get a chance to. So then John Henry's AI says that the accelerant for the fire was Kryptonian. He was ex kryptonite. So he's like, Oh, you know, I need to get this info to general lane ASAP. So he's meanwhile, he's at home, like looking at all, all this stuff with, with his AI. So Nat comes home 
and she just walks straight to her room you know even though you know he's like Annette he tries calling out to her and you know Lois he's like what happened and she's like I don't know she's like she was really upset and you know she wouldn't talk to me then he's like you know she's been off all morning since breakfast and then he's like oh so he realizes the waffles then he's like today's the day Nat's mom died and I completely forgot and Lois like oh I'm sorry you know he's like or she's like, you know, you've been covering Super Superman. He's like, that's not an excuse. He's like, you know, she was my wife. She was Nat's mother. She probably hates me now. And Lois is like, you should probably try talking to her. And she's like, just call me if you need anything. And she goes to leave. But then he's like, oh, for, but, you know, there's something I need to tell you. So Lois comes home, closes the door a little loudly. Jordan's like still sitting in the kitchen. And he's like, mom, I have to tell you something. And she's like, too late. I already know and he's like you can't get mad he's like i didn't have a chance to explain and she's like she said like what what about before you you left the school and he says that you know she was talking to mrs cushing she's like that's such a load of crap and he's like well i don't want to interrupt to ask if it's okay to run into a burning building he's like well i had to save mr cushing's life and she's like did you know there was ex kryptonite there and he's like well i couldn't just let him die and she's like if john henry didn't show up it could have been you who died He's like, John Henry was late. He didn't save Sarah's dad. I did. And she's like, you're not a superhero. You're a kid. And he's like, well, dad's gone. And no one knows if he's coming back. She says, she's like, I know how hard this is on you. You know, it's hard for me, but it's not the right time to play hero. And he's like, it is the right time. He's like, that's why granddad's been training me. He's been doing what? It's like, oh, man. He's like, well, I don't need your permission. And she's like, under my roof? Yes, you do. He's like, not when I'm the one with superpowers. And it's like, oh, snap, did he just go there? And so there's like the stare down, and he like walks out. So John Henry talks to Nat. He, he's like, can we talk? And he says that he forgot what today was because he's busy. How could you? And don't say you were too busy. It's like, oh, my God. He says that you know, maybe he just kind of wanted to forget that day. And she's like, that's not okay. So it's like, man, it's like, go back to your spaceship and go, go into hibernation. It's like, it's just so annoying. He's like, you know, he's trying to move on. So what? You're just going to forget about her? Pretend like she never existed? And he's like, I'll never forget your mother. But thinking about her all the time and obsessing over her death, it's like, you didn't see what that did to me. He's like, I became someone I didn't recognize. And she says, she's like, we're the only people who remember her. And, you know, they're the ones that who know their lowest lanes exist. You don't just get to run away from her memory. He's like, but I can't let it tear me apart either. He's like, I want to be a dad. I want to be able to enjoy this life we have together. Life we have, it's because of her. <laughs> it's like, how? so it's because of Lois that they have a life, like, I guess, but it's also because of him. And I don't want a dad who could ever forget that. So again, it's like, okay, this is your dude. So, she shouldn't be talking to him about this or like this way. She, you know, he's the, he's the parent. He's the adult. He has to, you know, he makes decisions what he feels is best. And again, it sucks. She lost her mom, but he lost his wife. And chances are he probably knew her longer than she knew her mom. And, and yeah, there's a mother, daughter, mother, parent, child, whatever thing. But it's not like he's just forgetting about it. So she has no idea. He was like obsessed with killing Superman at the beginning. I mean, he was like pure evil. He was going to do whatever it took to take him out. And he's like realized that that wasn't him. You know, he didn't even know what he was doing. 
Oh, man. Anyways, so Sarah shows up at Kyle's apartment and she has like a bag of groceries and it's it's kind of dingy in the hall. There's like a dog barking, whatever. He's like, what are you doing there? And she's like, I was just checking on you. He's like, well, you know, I'm fine. And she's like, you don't look fine. She tries to come in, but he like moves a little to kind of like block. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. And she sees like blood dripping and, you know, you can see like blood on the back of his shirt and she's like, dad, you're bleeding. So she kind of like pushes her way inside, even though, you know, he says it's fine. She sees the place. There's like a, you know, mattress on the floor with a sleeping bag. There's like a milk crate and a wood crate for like table and chairs. There's a couple of boxes. There's like another like old chair and stool. And then she's like, you know, she doesn't really comment any of that. She's like, where's the bandages? And he like kind of points to him. And then, then she's like, siéntate. You should tell him, sit down. And he's like, you know, if I knew you, you were stopping by, I would have straightened up. And she's like, how? By taking your one chair and sticking it over there? <laughs> so she takes off his bloody bandage. And, you know, we can see like the scrape on his back or something like that. And she's she's like, you you need stuff. You know, this place is depressing. He's like, well, it's just a waste of time and energy. And she's like, is it because you think that you're getting back to, together with mom soon? And he says, because, you know, he thinks this is just temporary. And then she, you know, she thanks him for the, he thanks her for the bandage. And she's like, dad, I just want to make sure you're okay. And he's like, I'm great. And he's like, I just need some rest. So Lois show goes to where like the fire was at, at like the warehouse place. Sam's there too. And he's like, I was wondering when you'd show up. And she's like, Oh, I'm just surprised that you have time between training my son to be a weapon. And she's like, what were you thinking, dad? And he's like, He's one of the most powerful beings on earth. He's like one, you know, one that needs guidance. I just want to make sure he's in control of his abilities. She's like, you have no idea how hard it is with Clark gone and two teenage boys who think they're grown men. He's like, <laughs> he's like, well, I, I think I have an idea what that's like. So Lois is like, she's like, I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. And Sam's like, you're not going to be a single parent forever. You know, Clark's coming back. He he always does. And this kind of silent. Then she, you know, they find an inhaler. So she's like this must have been a distribution center for the XK. And then he's like, do you happen to have a lead on any XK dealers at home? She puts an inhaler on a table in front of Jonathan look familiar. And he's like, mom, I can't tell you anything. And she certainly says, she's like this. uh, It's like the time for protecting your friend is over. This is a big operation and it's dangerous and people are going to get hurt. She's like Kyle Cushing almost died. And, you know, it's like Sam's like, I can, you know, I can promise immunity for your friend. He's like, you know, we just need to put an end to this. You know, they don't know the kind of drug that they're dealing with. So Lois like, you know, it's never too late to do the right thing. So Jonathan, you know, just takes a breath. He's like, you promise you'll protect them? He's like, with the entire might of the DOD. And John's like, okay, let me make a call. Lana talks to Emily about something. Dean's trying to, he's trying to pull something with like ride shares. I don't know what's probably like voting. I, who knows? Then uh, Sarah comes up to her, she asks if she can talk. She's like, it's about dad. And she's like, could dad stay with us tonight? And Lana's like, you know, that would be the wrong message to send him. And Sarah's like, if you've seen where he's, have you seen where he's living? It's like really bad. And Lana's like, that's none of my business. You know, it's your dad's life. And Sarah's like, does that mean you don't care about him anymore? And she's like, no, it means he made his choices and now he has to live with them. So Lois, she's like, okay, I finally have the two co-conspirators. So she has Sam and Jordan. And she's like, so she wants to talk to him. And Jordan's like, mom, you're wrong about this. And Sam's like, you might want to think about a softer touch there, pal. Jordan's like, you know, you're, you were right. You know, he's like, grandpa was right. It's like, I have to be ready. And Lois's like, he's not your mother, Jordan. I am. Jonathan comes in 
asks again if they'll keep it anonymous and protect them. And Sam's like, you have my word. So Jonathan's like, okay, I'll bring her in. And Lois is like, her? Candace shyly comes in. Lois looks at her. Hello, Candace. Uh, got a little cold in here. At the kitchen table, Candace apologized for getting Jonathan in trouble you know, because of her. Lois is like, I don't want your apology. I just you know, want you to tell us everything you know about the, the XK. So Candace says that you know she wants to help make make it right, but honestly, she doesn't know much. So Lois is like, how long have you been selling? About four months. Where do you get it? From a guy at her trailer park. And Sam's like, we need names. She's like, his name is Mickey. And Lois is like, Mickey Giroux? It's like, I've only been here like, you know, a year and even I know he's bad news. She's like, why are you hanging out with him? And she's like, I didn't have a choice. And Lois is like, yeah, you did. She's like, you just made a bad one. And Candace is like, yeah, I did. But my dad has a heart condition and we're totally broke. We've moved seven times in the past nine years. Lois is like, where does Mickey get a supply? And Candace says that she's like, if I tell you and it gets out, and Lois is like, it won't. She's like, I've done this before and I always protect my sources. And Jonathan's like, that's true. Jordan says, plus, my granddad practically runs the DOD. He'll make sure you're safe. It's like, Jordan's such a doof. <laughs> He's like, you know, Sam's like, you know, as long as she cooperates, you know, everything will be fine. So she's like, all I know is he used to make pickups at a, a, a place on Old McKellen Road. And Lois is like, yeah, we can work with that. So then Callis. Candace, you know, she gets up, she apologizes again, and Lois, you know, she's going to go home, and Lois just says that they'll they'll let her know if they have any other questions. So she doesn't even acknowledge the apology or anything like that. So Sam says that he'll call the DOD. They can get satellites to look at, at the place. Um, it'll probably take like a couple hours to check. Jordan's like, we don't have to wait that long. He's like, we can just drive by and I can listen. Lois is like, that's not going to happen. She's like, that's enough for one day. And Sam's like, you know, it's not a bad idea. This is the kind of stuff I'd use Superman for. She's like, he's not Superman, Dad. And Sam says that, you know, they need to get this taken care of as soon as possible so no one else gets hurt. Jordan's like, I'm not trying to be Dad. I'm, j I'm just trying to help since Jonathan's wrapped up in this. So Lois is like, fine. She's like, but you're staying in the car. So Sarah goes to Kyle's again. She brought his stuff. She had like a, like a dolly with like a couple boxes and stuff like that. It's been sitting in a garage. She's like, you know, his photo CDs, his old guitar. And he's like, I already told you, the moment I start hanging things on the wall, and she's like, Dad, stop kidding yourself. This might not be temporary. And she's like, sorry, it's just hard to see you living like this. And he's like, well, then it's a good thing I have my top designer to help me decorate. So she's like, then he's like, where's your knucklehead? And he's like, he should help you, you know, move this stuff. And she's like, he's busy. He's, and Kyle's like, it's Smallville. It's like, what is there to be busy with? So they talk about some stuff and he's, he's like, you know, is he putting you first? He's like, cause you know, I don't always do that with your mom. And you know, then I realized that, you know, I should have. John Henry's looking at a, a video of his Lois after Nat was born. They're at the hospital, you know, she's holding her in her arm and she's like, she's perfect. And you know, then he's like, it's, this is like, it was a sad moment. Cause then he's just like, he starts sobbing like quietly, you know, it's like he's trying to not make noise because he doesn't want Nat to hear him. But he's like, you know, covering his eyes and he's just like fiercely sobbing. Lois, Sam, and Jordan, they drive to the place. It looks empty. Jordan can't make out what they're saying. He's trying to listen because there's like a hissing sound, like some pressure valve or something like that. And then Sam's like, any chance your x-ray vision is kicked in? He's like, nope. So Lois is like, well, they don't need it. It's like someone's moved in. Those are new crates over there. So Sam and Lois are going to go take a look. And she insists. She's like, Jordan, you stay in the car. So they go up there. They look through a little like 
window there's like you know some parts like uncovered and they see there's like a whole operation going on he's like okay let's go she's like no let me you know she takes a couple of pictures and she's like you know we have to call this in and some dude's like that's not happening and his eyes glow red so he's like oh so we have lois lane and her dad the general so he's like get inside sarah and lana are at the rally center waiting for the results um and lana's like you know it's like what if i win what if I don't win? And Emily's like, she comes up, she's like, oh, the boats are in now. Sam and Lois get tied up. They're like sitting in chairs. He's like trying to wiggle his wrist. She's like, what are you doing? And he's he's like, I'm trying to get, get free, whatever. She's like, those are firefighter knots or something like that. She's like, the more you wiggle, the tighter to get. And she's like, if it was this, I forget what it was, this other you know type of knot, you know that might help. And he's like, how many times have you been tied up? And she's like, uh, better you don't know. So then he says, like, we need to activate Jordan. And she's like, what? She's like, no, we're not activating my son. And he's like, the look at those guys. They're not the type of guys that will let us just leave. And so Lois is like, she sees that he's he's right about that. So then she's like, Jordan, honey, if you can hear me, we need your help right now. She's like, sweetie, you need to be very, very careful. So the dude starts coming up to him. He has a gun. He points it at Sam and Lois is like, dad. She's like, you know, because he's about to shoot. And then heat vision hits the gun and then cold breath uh, freezes the guy and then Jordan punches him. But <laughs> good thing for the guy, he doesn't shatter. He just, it, the ice breaks and he just gets like knocked out, whatever. You see workers start scrambling. Um, then the other dude from outside, he comes towards him. He starts shooting like laser vision. Uh, your heat vision. So Lois is like, Jordan, look out. He like ducks and put up his, his hand. But then it's like time slows down because he's actually moving at super speed. And he kind of smiles, zips behind a dude. And then uh, like Lois and Sam, they're like, like where'd he go? And then the, the dude, like he's like, same thing. He's like, where, what happened to him? Jordan punches him from behind, knocks him out. Then <laughs> Lois looks at him and, and, and he kind of does like the bro nod to her. <laughs> It's like, you don't bro nod to your mom, whatever. But the thing is, she called out his name. So it's like, he already knows that she's Lois Lane. So that wasn't a good mood, but maybe he, in the heat of it, he won't remember anything because he maybe got hit too hard, get momentary amnesia or something. At the Lana headquarters, the phone rings. Emily's like, everyone quiet. She listens. Okay. Like, All right. Thank you. She's like, how close was it? 5743. Okay. Thank you. Hangs up the phone. You won. Everyone cheers and applause, hugs. But Kyle's not there because, you know, Sarah's kind of looking. Actually, you know, Sarah's looking. She's probably looking for Jordan, I realize. Yeah, at first I thought she was looking for Kyle. Lana gives her acceptance speech. She's like, this victory belongs to all of you. And so Sarah's like looking around. Uh, then Lois, Jordan, Sam arrive. And they're like, looks like Lana won. So Jordan goes to look for Sarah. Sam says that his team swept the warehouse and is looking for other hot spots. So hopefully this is the end of XK in Smallville. And Lois is like, this is bigger than Smallville. She's like, there was real money funding that operation. He's like, yeah, that's what worries me. So Jordan finds Sarah and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. And she's like, late, you missed the whole thing. And he's like, oh, you know, it was family stuff. And he's like, you know, and she's like, what family stuff? He's like, well, I, I can't really tell you about it. And she's like, are you ever going to put me first? And he's like, what because you know that's what her dad said before and she's like you keep disappearing she's like i just want to know why but you keep shutting me out and she's like she's like i know i'm not the perfect girlfriend and he's like no 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 it's not that she's like you know i just wanted to share this day with you and he's like i want to tell you but i can't 
then she's like, okay. And then she takes off the necklace that he gave her that was from his, his grandfather or, or someone, uh, Clark's dad, Jonathan. And she's like, I, I can't come second to whatever this is. And then he's like, uh, are you breaking up with me? And she's like, yeah, I think um, let's just talk about it tomorrow. So Nat comes home. I don't know where she was. Um, and John Henry made breakfast for her. And she's like, with mom's recipe? Because she's, you know, it's like, what's this? And he's like, breakfast. So he's like, he's been so busy filling in for Superman that he hasn't much time to think about her. He thought it would be a good thing. Or he thought that was a good thing. That, but she was right. Just because it hurts, that's no excuse to forget her mom. He's like, but maybe today we can celebrate her life. And she's like, by making waffles? And he's like, by reliving her memories. So his laptop's like on a coffee table. He turns it on and, and he looks at her and and she's like, what? He's like, I just want you to know I will never forget your mother because I see her every day when I see you. And they start watching the video. It's, it's the same exact video. So maybe that's the only video he has. Sarah shows up at Kyle's with like a sleeping bag. You know, she, you can tell, you know, her nose is red, her eyes are red. And he's like, shouldn't you be celebrating with your mom? And she's like, I figured you could use some company. And then she tells him, she's like, I broke up with Jordan. And he like hugs her. And she's like, she says that, you know, she doesn't want to think about it or talk about it. And you know, so she, they want to just make dinner. And he's like, you know, you did what you had to do for a reason, right? He's like, tomorrow we'll figure out what's next. So Jordan is uh, apparently still walking Candace home. They they talk about his mom being intense. And he's like, yeah. And then she says she still feels guilty for letting him take the fall. And he's like, well, hopefully, you know, now we can focus on us. So they go to kiss, and then he gets like a sharp pain in his temple, like something's going on. So is, is he developing powers, or is it something else? And he's, you know, he's like, oh, it's probably just, you know, schoolwork online, you know, maybe staring at a computer screen, you know, for so long. And she's like, yeah, you know, you should probably go home. And she's like, I'm just two blocks away. And he's like, are you sure? So at first, I, I, what I thought is like, oh, this is this is bad. She's going to walk home, and she's going to get jumped by Mickey or someone. But nothing comes of that. Jordan's standing out on the porch. Um, Lois comes out. He like wipes his eyes. You know, she has a glass of wine. She's like, find a new spot. She's like, brooding on the porch is my thing. And he's like, Sarah gave me the necklace back. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. She's like, you know, sometimes with a heartbreak, you just have to feel it. And she's, and then he's, she's like, on the bright side, you did kind of save your mom's life. He's like, yeah, I guess. And she's like, what? I, was like I think that warrants a little more enthusiasm. She's like, I, you know, I just want you to know I'm proud of the hero you're becoming just like your dad. And then, you know, someone walks up from, from like the barn or something like that. And Jordan's like, oh, John's home. But then you see he has a leather jacket on and red pants. And Lois like, that's not our Jonathan. So they walk, you know, down the steps to, to see him. But then what I realize those aren't necessarily red pants. What I think those are like red kind of tights, the leather jacket. It's like like Connor, Superboy, don't call me kid, look. He just didn't have sunglasses on. So then she's like, where's Clark? And he starts, starts talking backwards and he stops himself, kind of like thinks about it. And he's like, he was too late. And then we see Superman like, lying on a ground like on a ground like looking up it's like you know reddish around her and he's like looking up at something or someone and that's the end and we don't get another episode until april 26th so we have like like a month until a new episode and they're gonna be in bizarro worlds so we're gonna see everything's like flips upside down <laughs> so that was a good episode 
uh, crazy stuff. So we'll have to see what happened to Superman and if he's still alive. Or maybe it's just going to be Jordan now after this. And with Severance, Season 1, Episode 7. Oh, my goodness. This 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 show, this episode, this this was really good. And um, the ending was, was kind of crazy. Um, kind of mind-blowing, mind like a bombshell. Maybe. I don't know if it was like – there's some, definitely something to talk about. Okay. Mark's still with that mysterious person. So we know who it is. Is that person that, that Grainer, Grainer and uh, Cobell were talking about. But the closed captions list them as mysterious person. He's like, who are you? And so it's that Rehabi person, whatever. And she's like, you know, she, she tells him to come with her. So they go like around the building, like kind of through a tunnel or whatever. And she, they go downstairs or someplace. And she says that, you know, he, he could have thrown Petey's phone away weeks ago. So why didn't he? And he asks again, he's like, who are you? And she's like, I'm the one who helped your friend. And Mark's like, reintegration killed him. And she's like, the procedure didn't kill Petey. She's like, if he had followed my post-op instructions and simple, not simply run away at the first sign of sickness. And then he, you know, he's like, are you a doctor? And she pauses. She says that she put the chip in his head and she's the only one who can deactivate it. And he's like, you know, maybe I don't want to deactivate it. And she's like, right, well, maybe your innie does. And she asks if he wonders what his innie thinks about all this and if he's happy. She says that, you know, she's like, I hate the term innie. It's infant, infantizing, infant, whatever, you get what I'm saying. So she says that he's been severed for two years. So um, his innie, you know, really is just a baby. And Mark's like, you know, his his innie lives his own life, as and as a result, he gets to live his own. But she's like, he, you know, his innie only gets to exist because of him, and for all intents and purposes, he is him. So she asks if he really thinks that he's different down there, if his innie combs his hair differently or laughs at different jokes. You know, maybe he's right and he loves it, but maybe he doesn't. You know, he'll never know. So she's like, you know, you brought him into this world without his permission you know, based on your own desire for emotional convenience. And Mark's like, I'm not a bad person. And she says that, you know, she thinks that he just, you know, wants to do what's right. Then someone comes in and, you know, she kind of like ducks or something like that. It's Mr. Grainer. So Mark's like, do I know you? And Grainer's like, yeah, we work together. He's like, are you having a chat with someone? And then he's like, it's, it's okay, you know, He's, he's a friend or something like that. Then the lady co- comes from behind, hits him with aluminum bat. And he, Mark's like, what? What are you doing? And, she, and then she hits him like two more times while he's down. Mark's freaking out. It's like, WTF, are you doing? The bat's bloody. And she's like, grab his arms. So they, they start dragging him. And Mark's still like freaking out. There's like leaving like a trail of blood and everything like that. And he said, you know, he said, you, you know, I work with him. And she's like, no, you don't. And she tells him that this is Doug Grainer, head of security on a severed floor. And he, he he's like, I'm, I'm going to be sick. He's going to throw up. And she's like, no, don't throw up. She's like, there's DNA in that. So she takes Grainer's security card. She hands it to Mark. She's like, this is full access to everything. She's like, take it to work tomorrow and you'll know what to do. And Mark's like, who will know what to do? And she's like, you. And so she, she's, she tells him, she's like, give me Petey's phone. She's like, I'll take care of this. She's like, go home, get rid of your clothes. And he's like confused, but he starts to leave. And she's like, I'll be in touch. She's like, it's going to be okay. But it's like, she took, why'd she take the phone? Why didn't she keep it? So it's like, they'll, they'll finish what Petey started 
And then she yells, like, get out of here. So he goes, and he goes out a little bit. He throws up a little bit outside, but maybe it's far enough away, so it doesn't matter. No one's going to inspect random vomit, like, in a back alley. Mark gets home, gets a trash bag in the kitchen, takes off his clothes. And then Alexa comes out because she, you know, was stayed over there. And he's like, oh, I, I was just getting a glass of water. And she's like, where were you? She's like, I heard a car. And he's he tries, like, kind of playing it off. He's like, what? You heard a car? And then... And he doesn't say anything. She's like, you're being weird. Mark's like, maybe it was a dream. And she's like, I've been up for an hour and you weren't here. Then he's like, I, I just needed to drive a little. And she's like, are you okay? And he's like, well, you know, this is kind of a big deal for me. And she asks, she's like, do you want me to go? And he's like, he looks at her and he's like, maybe. So she leaves. In the morning, he's dressed. He has a security card. So he puts it in his pocket. He takes his the his clothes that are in, in the bag sticks it outside in the trash mrs selvig mrs cobell or mrs cobell she comes out ma you're out early in the snow usually you deposit your trash in the early afternoon and she's like oh you look troubled maybe we should talk later over a nice cup of lavender tea and it's like she's so nosy obviously for for reasons but it's like my goodness um so milchek he's opening and closing like this door like an elevator door with his security card, like over and over again. And then, then he like walks through, does it again, does it. Um, then he goes, checks the bathroom, looks for the infographic card that Dylan put there. He finds it, goes to optics and design. Um, Bert and the one lady are there. He's like, oh, I have something for you. And then he hands it to him. Bert's like, ah, the missing 7199G. He's like, Oswald will be so delighted. And Milchick's like, good. He's like, now we can focus on the final preparations without interruptions. So he looks at the work that, you know, Bert's like he was doing, cleaning a painting, re, re, whatever, refurbishing it or what he touching it up. I don't know. And he's like, you know, you're doing excellent work and you're a good department leader. And he's like, you deserve a, a special something. And Bert's like, hopefully not another trip to the break room. He's like, yesterday was quite enough. Milchek's like, no, not that. It's like something else. Stay tuned. So Milchek's at the elevator door to greet Dylan when he arrives. He's like, what the heck was that? Milchek tells him, he's like, He's like, walk with me. He's like, what happened last night was called an overtime contingency. It's a safeguard they occasionally employ to remotely wake up to awaken workers off site. Dylan's like, you never told us that you could do that. Milchick says it's for emergency use only. And he's like, and I didn't consult Miss Cobell because she's been so stressed. And Dylan's like, what about the boy? Was he my son? And Milchick stops walking. He's like, he's like, he had agreed to to count to a thousand, which he then violated. He gets in close and he says, I really wouldn't mention this to your colleagues, Dylan. This OTC's pretty need to know, understand? And Dylan's like, can you tell me his name? And he's like, not knowing is probably for the best. Then he's like, you know, I know it's been a tough quarter. He's like, you know, I'm going to see about rustling up some special perks for you. So Mark puts his stuff in his like locker drawer or whatever. He looks at the security card, puts it back in his pocket, gets into the elevator. And he gets off Milchik's there to greet him. And Mark's like, am I going to the, you know, and then Milchick, he's like, am I going to the break room? But Milchick cuts him off. He's like, I'm here to escort you to your desk. He's like, new protocol. He's, and he's like, when we, when they get there, Mark sees that the door is locked. He's like, so we're locked in now. So that's what the, the elevator door thing. There's like security doors now at their office. So you need a security card to open and close the door or yeah, to open it, I guess. Um, so he's like, we're locked in now. And Milchek's like, I prefer the, the phrase safely situated. And he says his door 
help him to ensure that they're all tucked in nicely into their workspaces. Mark asks if Mr. Grainer ordered this and the doors slide open. The other three are already at their desk, so it's weird that they got there before he did because he's usually there way before them to make the coffee and everything and fill up the soap <laughs> that's not labeled. Milchek says that he'll get Mark his, his coffee and then Helly asks Mark, she's like, what is this? And Mark loudly says, how you doing, Irv? And then he asks Dylan if he's all right. He's just like, fine, in a mon- like a monotone voice. Milchek leaves and calls Cobell. He, he just has to leave her message. He's like, I'm not sure if you heard, but Grainer didn't come in. He's like, everything's fine. But, you know, it's like, where are you? Cobell is doing like baby nursing stuff with Devin, Mark's sister, you know, working on like breastfeeding. So she like shows her like how to do it with a doll, like what to do. And after they're talking, Selvig shares a story about some lady with a mishap, you know, milk squirting everywhere, something like that. Then Devin's like, don't you need to get to the store? And Cobell's like, oh, they can do without me. She's like, you know, plus we're having fun. So Devin mentions uh, the rich lady at the birthing retreat, you know, the wife of a senator. She saw her later and then she 100% didn't remember her. And she says that, you know, she's like, it might be crazy. She mentions Mark working at Lumen. She's like, what if someone wanted a baby but didn't want so, so you know, so she like, did someone get severed while they had a baby so they wouldn't re- go through your field experience? Selvig asks, she's like, why do you think Mark got severed? And Devin's like, well, it happened after he lost his wife. You know, at first he tried to keep teaching at the college, but he couldn't. Then Mrs. Selvig, Ms. Cobell, asks, uh, keeps asking about Mark, like, the, you know, does he ever think he sees his wife or anything like that? You know, like weird visions or so she just keeps pushing this. Dylan's looking at like the numbers on the screen. Irv comes up to Mark and he's like, you know, it's like, I was just in the bathroom. He's like, whatever happened to the soap labels? And Mark's like, there's never been labels. And Dylan's like, we all know it's soap. And Irv's like, it seems like an O and D question. And Mark's like, Irv, you know, we can't go anywhere. He's like, but I'm, you know, worried about Bert. And Irv says that, you know, he's like, suppose he's being disciplined about our visit. And Dylan's like, suppose he is, thanks to you. Helly like kind of gives him a look. Dylan continues, if only someone told you that going there was a poopy flipping idea from the jump. Then Milchik comes in with a cart. He says it's some MDE. So he got, um, Helly got it to a 75%. Milchik plugs, plugs in something. It's like a record player or something like that. He's like, Helly R, please step forward by reaching 75% refinement on Sienna, whatever that is. You have earned for you and your fellow refiners a five-minute music dance experience. So that's what MD is. And he like takes her picture. Irv is like, he's looking at her screen. Mr. Milchek, she's at 73% refinement. And he's like, it's been a tough morning for everyone. Then she's like, what happened to you? He just kind of ignores the question. So he tells her to approach the cart. She may choose one genre and one accessory so there's like a card with all the different so it's like body funk bouncy swing buoyant reggae defiant jazz which is the name of the episode spoiler if effusive ska exalted choral exciting rap hootin tootin country lofty orchestral playful punk what's playful punk reckless disco it's reckless spooky ambient tearful ego thoughtful grunge wholesome big band and wistful pipes and then she chooses a maraca and irv's like should have gone for the castanets and so so she chooses defiant jazz he picks out a a record 
and says that even though this is in Helly's honor, he urges all refiners to take advantage of the opportunity presented. So Dylan is, is trying to ignore all this, you know, keep working. Milchik starts the music and clips like a, a key fob thing, whatever, and then the lights start kind of like flickering red. He, he like kind of dances in place a little bit. Mark and Helly are like, whoa. And then Helly, she's kind of like moving and shaking the maraca. Irv's sitting there kind of like bopping his head and like snapping his finger. Mark kind of does like the white man's dance, you know. And Dylan just like sighs. Milchik comes at, at, at Mark like dancing. And then Mark sticks his, his hand in his pocket and he feels a security card and he like puts it back. Milchik's dancing around Dylan and then, you know, they're all kind of dancing and I'm kind of dancing now too. Then they all they start like staring at Dylan. Then um, he's just like certain things and he hears like, daddy, daddy, daddy. He gets up screaming, pushes Milchik like back, back. And he bumps into the cart. He falls on the floor. Dylan gets like on top of him he's, and he yells. He's like, what's his name? And Milchik like yells at him and the other's like get him off me and then dylan clamps onto like his armors like this like starts like with his teeth starts biting him and milchik screams hell he like hits the lights so the lights go normal mark and Irv pull dylan off milchik's there's like blood on his right bicep he's you know so he's like kind of shot he's like you broke the skin and he then they're like he says something he's like he's gonna have to get a full tetanus something whatever and then he's like you've done it now dylan he's like i'm reporting this to miss cobell but he doesn't back down he's like yeah you want to go see her together? Milchik just turns to leave and he stops. The music dance experience is officially canceled. And they all stare as he storms out. Mark hisses, what's wrong with you? And Dylan's like, they can wake us up on the out time. It's called overtime contingency. And Mark's like, what are you talking about? Dylan says, last night after I went up the elevator, I woke up outside in my house with Milchik. And Irv's like, what? Dylan's like, I saw my son and then he hugged me. He continues telling about, you know, then they're like in a supply room. They're talking more. He's like, he was so happy to see me. Then Milchek pulled him off and it was over and it happened so fast. I just keep trying to remember more. And he's like, it's, it's not fair. He's like, I'm supposed to have that in my head every day here. And he's like, and I'll never get to see him again. Irv's like, he's not your son. He's your Audi son. And Dylan's like, that's BS. He's like, he's my son too. And hell, he's like, this is good. He's like, we can use this. If, if they can wake us up on the outside what's to stop them from you know doing it what's to stop us from doing it to ourselves so you know if we can find whatever they use to control them and commandeer it you know we can all see the outside and see who we are and Irv's like that's perverse she's like we're innies the controls are surely somewhere that, they, that we can't access then mark pulls out grainer's card he's like like the security office so they recognize that it's Grainer's card. It's like, where did you find it? And he's like, it was in my pocket. It's like during the music dance experience. He's like, I must have had it with me when I came in today. And hell, he's like, why does your Audi have you know a card from our head of security? He's like, I don't know. And he's like, Helly, I think it's time for a field trip. So Dylan sarcastic is like, to the security offices where all the security guards work. He's he's like, amazing, you know, great idea. And she's like, well, who's to say that there are security guards? You know, she's like, I've only ever seen Grainer. And Dylan's like, well, what about Milchek? And she's like, well, he can't be everywhere at once. Irv's like starting to freak out. He's like, we shouldn't be doing this, whatever. And she asks Mark, she's like, you know where the office is? He's, and he's like, yeah. He's like, I, I think we can do this. So he tells Dylan, he's like, if Milchek does show up, he's like, stall him. So the car, he puts a card in the door. It, it opens it. Then Irv, you know, they go out in the hallway. And then Irv walks in the opposite direction. He's like, sorry, Mark. He's like, I have to make sure Bert's okay. And Mark's like, but what about the plan? And he's like, I can't hear you. He's like, I'll be back. So Mark and Helly go. 
So the the card unlocks the door. They go throwing the security off. They get there. Inside is dark. There's like several like screens and computers. On a screen, there's like names for different people in their departments, and you know there's like buttons and knob or whatever. But it's weird because there's also numbers next to their names. So like Irving and Helly both have one 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 two, so one thousand one hundred and twelve. Dylan has twelve sixty six. Mark has sixty one hundred. So I have no idea what those numbers mean. But it, but because um, so Irving and Helly have the same number. It's like if there were some sort of ranking, Helly's new Irving's been there longer. I don't know. Helly finds a manual so they can try to find the overtime contingency. Then Mark sees a, a screen split into like like severed and non-severed. Cobell is shown as descending, so she must be arriving now. And he goes to the screen. Helly finds a page about the, the overtime contingency, like rips it out. Irving, meanwhile, is walking down the hall. And Cobell's also walking down the hall. So it's like, are they going to run into each other? But then uh, the lady, Natalie, with the headset that talks to the board, she stops Cobell. And she's Cobell's like, this is not a good time. And Natalie's like, I have the board here. And she tells Cobell that Doug Grainer is dead. And Natalie says that the board finds this deeply troubling. So they want to know if Cobell knew where he was or that he was missing. And she's like, you know, whoever killed Grainer is probably the same person who integrated Peter Kilmer. So the board is apparently, you know, sort of listening in because you can kind of hear them like talking in her ear. So Natalie starts to say that the board wants to remind her that integration is, and then Cobell cuts her off, reintegration happened. She's like, and I have data to prove it. Or she says data. I say data. So she gets close to Natalie's mouthpiece. And I would be happy to share my findings in person without intermediaries. And you can hear them like saying something in her ear. And then she's kind of surprised because uh, Natalie's like they agree so they'll be able available to meet with you at the Egan family gala next week to discuss this further details to come Cobell Coley says I look forward to receiving them and then she walks away so Irv is still walking and then we see O&D is having a melon party Mark and Helly return to their office Daryl is surprised that no one was in the security room and he's like man it's like that's Lax's flip and Mark says, well, maybe it's enough that they think that they're constantly being watched. Helly's looking over the manual page. She's like, there's a lot of step, but it's pretty straightforward. You just engage the trackball, type the code, then it's switch, type, flip, type, hold. And Mark says to do this, one of them has to stay behind. So Daryl, he looks at it and he, he, he says he gets it. He's like, what? I'm smart. He's like, yeah. He's like, I'll, I'll do it. He's like, after work. Uh, he's like, I've already been out, so it's only fair. And Helly's like, that's very noble of, of you, but I think it's designed as a two-man operation. Daryl's like, great, I have the strength of two men. And she points out that there are two lever switches that you have to hold open during the actual procedure, and they're on either side of the door. And Daryl's like, I, I, I can do it. So there's a little flag on a stick sticking out of Mel and says, bye-bye, Bert. So Milchick comes out, and uh, Bert's, with Bert and he's asking for a round of applause for the man of the hour. He's wheeling out like a, a TV and like a disc player or something like that. So Milchick says, greetings designer. And then he's like, and one refiner. Cause he sees Irv standing in a doorway. So it's like, how did Irv get out? If he's locked in, he comments, he's like, we'll have to get those doors looked at. Then uh, they, he turns on the video. It's Bert talking. He comments uh, how strange this is, but so is the work they do. The man standing with them has worked 
you know, for nearly seven years and he hopes that they've been good years. You know, he doesn't know what they've been like or what exactly I or he has been doing with you. He says he, you know, he comes home feeling tired but fulfilled, so he must like them very much. He's like, though this is the last day with them, he's certain they will remain with him in spirit in some deep yet completely unaccessible corner of his mind. He says he will never forget any of them, even though sitting here, <laughs> he has no recollection of actually ever meeting them. So he doesn't know their names. He doesn't know how many there are or physical attributes, but he says to Bert, and he looks like the, the different, like off screen a different way. He's like, bon voyage. And he blows like a little, like horn streamer. Then he looks at his watch. He's like, oh, and it like cuts off. So Irv is obviously not happy. So everyone applauses. Then he's like, you're all just going to stand here and let him die? And Bert's kind of surprised. Irv's like, are we being punished for defying the guidance of the founder? Milchik simply says, Bert's Audi is retiring. It'll happen to you someday. And Irv looks at him. He's like, you smug mother trucker. And then the smile slowly dissolves off, off of Milchik's face. Irv's like, you're not severed. You walk out here with your memories. You carry them home with you every night. No one can rip them away from you. Snuff them out like they never existed. Like you never existed. Milchik yells, that's enough. He's like, you will go back to MDR. Bert tries stopping Milchik. He's like, oh, but you know, it'd be so wonderful to have him here. He's like, he won't say anything more. And he like looks at, at Irv. Milchik steps forward. He's like, you can stay for Bert's party and support his transition but only if you behave in a manner that brings no shame upon yourself, the founder, or his progeny. He's like, I don't know what's gotten into you people today. So there's a long pause, and Irv finally says, yes, Mr. Milchik. Then he puts on a record. It's like it's labeled as any retirement song. Each member at O&D walks up to, to Bert, shakes his hand. Irv's the last one. They shake hands. You know, they, they say whatever or something. And then um, Irv kind of walks back leaves following Milchek. He walks into MDR. The three stand up and look at Irv and then he looks at them and he's, you know, Milchek walks out and Irv's like, let's burn this place to the ground. Then we see Mark having a drink at his place. He's probably, he's has a bottle. He's had a few drinks. He looks up uh, uh, news on his phone. He looks, looks up Gans College. There's nothing like on a death or anything like that. There's a knock on his door. It's Alexa. So she said that you know, she left her phone there. So he's clearly a little drunk. He's like slurring. He apologizes for talking about his wife. And she's like, it's fine. It's like, you know, she's like, you can talk about, about her, not talk about her. Doesn't matter. You know, she's leaving. So then he's like, wait. And he like takes out, he looks like, takes out a picture of his wife. You know, you, you don't really see it. He theatrically like tears it up in like the four pieces. And he's like gone. And she looks at him and she's just like, and she just turns and leaves. And he's like, What? So he like follows her outside. He's like kind of left standing in, in the, the road. And he, he, he's talking about his wife. He's like, you know, she was great. She was extraordinary. And he goes back inside and he picks up the pieces of the, of the picture. Then you see he's like taping them together. He's like, my wife was extraordinary. My wife was allergic to nutmeg. And when she sneezed, she always sneezed twice. My wife liked other people's dogs. My wife thought cardigans looked ridiculous. I loved all these things about her equally. And then we see his wife's face in a picture. It is Ms. Freaking Casey, the break room lady, who is not there anymore. So what the heck is going on? Why is his wife working at Lumen when she supposedly hit a tree and died, which is why he got severed? 
to forget about her. So she works there part-time. Cobell mentioned that. And is she severed? Because it doesn't seem like the higher-ups are severed. And she, you know, she's always, I feel like I want to go back now and watch the episode, rewatch the episode with her. Cause she does seem kind of like, she doesn't really say much. I don't know. It's kind of weird because that one moment when she got sent to the break room, when Mark and Helly went off to see the goats and then they, they pass each other like down that long hall in the, the break room, that seemed kind of weird. So it's like, why is she there? Why is Cobell allowing them to work together? You know, why is Cobell living next to Mark? So it's just like, what is going on? Is there something special about Mark? I don't think so, but oh my goodness. But that I was not expecting it. I'm like, wait, is that her? I'm like, what? what is going on? Oh, man. So this, this, this show, I love this show. Okay, then Star Trek Picard, season two, episode five, Fly Me to the Moon. I, I did like this episode. One of the things that I'm kind of wondering, and, and you know, I, I can't say that I'm like a diehard purist Star Trek fan. So some of these little things might not be bothering me so much, but I don't know how other people would feel. Cause like what we get here is, is a spoiler. I'm about to spoil it anyways, but we, we find out about like one of Picard's ancestors and I don't know if that's like territory that shouldn't be. It almost feels like, let's talk about, you know, it, that that's something that could be cool to see this. And there's a, also like another character you're seeing Guinan, 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 you know, in, in this time at 2024. So I don't, it kind of feels like they're pulling, trying to pull like spectacular stunts to, but maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm reading into it, but I, for me, that makes it interesting. So I, I'm liking that. I just wonder how other Star Trek fans would be. With this, an alarm goes off. There's a warning. It's a 1202 alarm, vector accumulator, area exhaustion. Um, this astronaut, uh, some guy talking to her, calls her Shango. Um, so she says to Houston that she's reading a 1202 alarm over to com. Um, this is some guy supposedly named Capcom. Capcom tells her, um, stand by, that they're getting word of a Russian satellite collision and orbital debris is headed their way. So something's going on with, with some ship, right? So then we see Picard and the lady who looks like Laris. Uh, she says that they go somewhere. He's like, oh, where are we? She's like, this is my apartment. Then he asks Laris. So he's like, how did you get here? She's like, there's that name again. And then he's like, did, did, he asks, did Q do this? And she's like, what's a Q? Then he realizes like, oh, you're not Laris. And she's like, nope. So she her name is Tallinn, T-A-L-L-I-N-N. And then she pulls like some gun on him or something like that because she has no idea who he is. So... so whatever so then uh, the lady shango whatever her name yeah it's not her real name we'll find out she's like working on the controls and stuff like that so they keep kind of like flipping back to her while picard and, and Tallinn are talking so he tells her that he's from a future timeline and she says that you know she doesn't like time travelers so then he says he's like my name is jean-luc picard and you know then this kind of gets a slight reaction from her so then with uh, shango we see like impact on three two one and then, like, nothing happens. And then the voiceover to comms, like, boom, you're dead. So, obviously, she's, like, in a simulation thing. She takes off her helmet. She seems upset. And she's like, why is everything, you know, stuck today? Or is she stuck today? Stuck today? I forget what it was. I think she said, why is everything stuck today? And Capcom's like, it's okay. You know, launches in three days. You just have some jitters. So, Talon says that 
Like others in her profession, she has a singular purpose. She's devoted her entire being to protecting one individual, a single string in a grand tapestry in which she's not privy. So Picard says that there's a divergence coming, something that alters the future he's from. So it's possible um, her or the person she's protecting is of great importance. And she's like, interesting, because apparently that person, Jean-Luc Picard, is your ancestor. So the astronauts, we see her name badge. Her name is really Renee Picard. So it's not Shango or whatever. So the Borg Queen's on the ship, her eyes are closed. And then she's like, alone, but not lonely. Silence so loud. Voices carried everywhere on invisible strings. Hmm. Hmm. Then she's like, computer, intercept local cellular tower frequencies. And a computer says, voice pattern not authorized. So she changes her voice, which is creepy that she can do this she changes the voice to sound like agnes so obviously that's gonna be a problem but then the computer says same thing again voice pattern not authorized so then she goes as picard again voice pattern not authorized so then she tries reels channel open so she, she talks to an operator she wants to call the la labare france constabulary Constab constabulary why does that not sound right? And, and she's like, please. In French, she says, like, she's like, help. She's like, a woman's being attacked. Her scream's coming from the Picard vineyard. So they're like, an officer's on the way. So poor queen's up to some some shenanigans. Rafi and, uh, Rafi and Seven get a lock on Rios. Rafi says that if they can lock on his coordinates, that Agnes can teleport him out. But Seven's, you know, he's on a bus. And she's like, other people seeing him could have an effect on history. And Rafi's like, uh, time travel rules. She's like, we're about to lose reels forever. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> so Rafi, she just keeps going like all over the place. Like just seems so extreme. Seven says like, they'll get him out alive, but it's like, he's on a bus. He's being deported. So they're going to lose him forever. Why don't they just like follow the bus and see where the bus is going? Then they can get him. So seven's like, they'll get him out alive in a way that doesn't screw up the timeline even more than it already is and she's like give me the tricorder and rafi like holds it back seven's like you're being too careless and she's like you're being too what, too cautious or something like that then seven's like please so rafi finally gives it over 400 meters out and then seven's like you know she's like okay i get it so she's like you're angry you're angry about elnor and gabe wait it's like who's gabe i don't know why i'm forgetting about who gabe is so she needs an enemy that she can fight and rafi's like you know all you want to do is run away. And Seven's like, yeah, that's right. She's like, she, you know, she does something. There's a shockwave. Uh, uh, she does something on a, on a control thing. So there's a shockwave on, on, on the road under the bus. The bus stalls. And Seven's like, you know, she, the reason she's running, she's like, because something that's not moving is vulnerable. So on the bus, the stupid guard yells at everyone to stay in their seats and not to move. So Rios um, tells them to get ready in Spanish. And the guard, like, tells them to shut up. So it was like, does the guard not know Spanish? You work for immigration and you're going to have no idea what they're saying. I mean, because it just, it really felt like he didn't know what was going on. So he tells him to, to shut up. And then um, the other guy uh, tells, I think his name is Pedro, tells Rios not to do anything stupid. And Rios is like, too late. He's like, my friends will take care of that. So the guard tells him, he's like, shut up again. And then he, you know, he's so angry. So he opens, he stupidly opens the cage door. So Rios gets up, like smacks him in the face with his elbows or whatever, because his hands are cuffed. And then he started kind of getting in a fight. The driver gets up to shoot. And then Rafi opens the door from outside, shoots him, I hope with a stun bolt. 
and then they they free all the others actually i think they weren't cut i think they were like zip ties because i think they just like cut cut the, them off which is is easier for them thank goodness it wasn't real cuffs because they have to make sure they have a key so she can just like slice them so then outside, you know, people are getting off the bus and uh, Rafi grabs one guy. She's like, Elnor. And he's like, ma'am, are you all right? So it looks like him. I don't think it was the same actor, um, but it looked, I mean, it could have been without some of the makeup, like the ears and everything. But then she's like, oh, nothing. So it wasn't him. But it's like, of course it's not him. So Talon says that she was chosen to be a supervisor. Picard mentions Kirk's enterprise crossed paths with a human called Gary Seven. And he was also recruited by superior beings so renee is a girl that um q saw last episode so i, I didn't realize because when she was in the ship she has a helmet you can't see her but she has like you know blonde hair like long blonde hair colin says that she watches but has never seen so she's never met renee she taught her renee taught herself to be an expert sailor she learned in the south of france where she grew up um, that was by h10 by 11 it was chess then fluid dynamics cantonese university at 16 then a couple years as a test pilot nasa couldn't wait to get their hands on her so picard's like she sounds remarkable and talon's like she is but she's also dealing with other things you know there's anxiety and depression and she's like it's a shame you know because she's got like such a brilliant mind and and you know all this is going on picard's like depression in a human can be debilitating so i feel like that's like a message for everyone <laughs> you know she's lucky to survive it and talon says like that's a problem she's not she's like i'm not sure she is surviving it so renee she's talking to her therapist and she says um uh she's like you know are, are you ready for this or are you going to choke when they need you you know she's like you know she's having all these these problems because lives depend on it so she's like really doubting herself talon says that the europa mission launches in three days and picard says that it was a pioneering space flight in history in his history talon isn't sure that she's going to be on it and he asks you know what do you mean so talon pulls up a whole image of her therapy session so it's apparently mandatory for the mission to talk to a therapist so he's kind of surprised that she's monitoring it he's like oh that's private and renee is like you know she's she keeps talking she's like it feels like nothing matters i start going numb and that scares me she's like i don't know if it's my gut or just plain fear the therapist says fear does not have to be her enemy. It can be her friend telling her perhaps that she's not ready. And Picard's like, stop the transmission. And he says that the the therapist is like talking her out of it. So Picard asks for an angle and a doctor just kind of switches thing, camera moves or whatever. And he's like, that's not a therapist. That's Q. So he's using Renee to change the future, apparently. So some dude is a... Uh, talking to some people about humanity is at a crossroads so this guy is adam sung so soon he's the ancestor of the guy who made data obviously when you see him so he's talking about the human genome and he's like envision a future free from disease uh you know will humanity involve blah, all the stuff like that you know he's just like get real passionate you know talking to this like board of you know some people he gets home his daughter core who also looks kind of familiar asks him how it went and it's like he steps through with like some decontaminating thing before entering the room like all this like stuff his sister room or whatever and she says that she can tell it didn't go well so he gives her like at first i thought he gives her an injection of something but then i think he he uh actually took a blood sample so she says that when she can finally go outside, she wants to learn how to swim. And um, he looks at the results. The results aren't good. And then it kind of cuts back to his meeting. He's 
told that you know he's doing genetic experiments on like ex-soldiers unmonitored unregulated illegal experimentation he says it's, it's for the greater good the smallest speck of dust will ruin his daughter's respiratory system uv light from the sun turns her blood to poison so she's confined to a room she has no life he they, they tell him that he's going to get his funding and license revoked then you know in in the present he looks at his daughter like sleeping she's like sleeping on a the couch there's a message on a computer starts typing on a screen and he's like he's like what's this and it says i can help then a bunch of documents start appearing on a screen and it says then another message like check your 3d printer so there's a card with like some design it almost looks like a magnifying glass and like little pieces like like or cut out around it but it's really i guess supposed to be a letter q and there's like a phone number at the bottom so I looked it up as it's three two three six three four five six six seven. That number again is three two three six three four five six six seven. So I looked it up. I looked up the three two three. So that's a central Los Angeles area code. Three two three six three four five six six seven. So you can call this number. I didn't do it myself, but I searched it and someone on Reddit said that you get an answering machine from the Q continuum and someone actually recorded like an audio of, of the message. So you don't have to call it. So I didn't have to call it. And, you know, he's, he just said some stuff or whatever. And he's like, oh, and it's pointless to leave a message because we know you're calling and we just don't care. Blah, blah. You know, it's Q being a little snarky and stuff like that. So you can actually call it. I'll, I mean, whenever you see a phone number in something that's not 555, you know that they probably have some sort of recording like this set up. So at a Picard Vineyard, an officer shows up with a flashlight. He reports that there's no activity, but he's checking it out. And then to himself, he's like, oh, I hate the countryside. He turns off his, his flashlight, starts smoking a cigarette. Agnes, meanwhile, is sleeping on the couch, so he hasn't gotten that far. But then, um, man, if he would have, it, it could have changed things if he would have just gone in the other room. So he goes outside. He kind of sees a shimmering from the, the cloaked ship. So I guess it's not fully cloaked. And then he, he, he goes on and he's like in awe. Then he hears like a woman crying, help me, hurry, follow my voice. And then he finally comes face to face with the Borg Queen. And he kind of like stumbles back and falls on the floor. And she's like, my hero. And then she's like, I detect a nicotine addiction. She's like, I can help with that. And then like a hosey probe, like snake-like thing, like jabs him, stabs him. So soon goes to meet with Q and he's you know they're like it's like some little restaurant or something like that diner place he says that hacking into his network was a cute little trick and he's like and so was teasing me with data that was mysteriously specific to the exact problem i'm trying to solve so he comments he's like you know how many uh message i get from like crackpots contacting me with you know dumb requests and all this stuff like that he's like so don't waste my time and q says that you know he he's realized that time is getting away from him so then he's like all right it's like i'm out of here but q's like in 17 seconds, you're going to take a seat. So he's like, you drove an hour to meet a total stranger because you're a father and you're desperate. And he says some stuff. So then he actually sits down and he's like, oh, right on schedule. Right so as soon as like, you, you know that much about me, you know, I'll kill you if I think you're a threat. And he then Q's like, that's what I like about you. And then he, he's like, you know, who the heck are you? he's like i am the evolution of stardust the gentle flutter of a butterfly i am death destroyer of worlds and i'm also a big fan of your work so he starts going on about how sad it is for him being a geneticist and his daughter has like an incurable genetic disease 
Soong says, you know, nothing is incurable, but Q says that he doesn't have the t um, time or funding, but he does have this. He takes out this like little plastic, like kind of bullet shaped container. It has this blue liquid inside. He tells him to analyze it. And he's like, if he likes it, give him a call. Then maybe he can help him with something that he might want. So something that Q wants. So Talon asks if Q is all-powerful, why doesn't he just snap his fingers and make the Europa mission disappear? And Picard says that he doesn't know. So if he's robbing Renee of her destiny, that goes against what she's sworn to protect. So Talon's like, well, tomorrow Renee goes in pre-launch quarantine. Picard says that you know Talon just has to stop her from quitting for the next 15 hours. So he's like, I don't suppose you have any sedatives. And Talon's like, I can't do that. And Renee is supposed to go to the gala tonight. So it's this big party before the astronauts go into quarantine. So attendance is mandatory. There's lots of press, meeting donors. Picard suggested they attend the gala and cover Renee, monitor her state of mind, and isolate her from potential threats. Then he says that they should rendezvous with his, rendezvous with his crew, that they may have gear on the ship that they can use. And so he puts a battery in his communicator, and Talon's like, I think you're mistaking me for someone who takes orders from you. And he says that he knows she protected you know, Renee for 24 years, so she needs to be strategic about this. So they need to help each other. On the ship, the Borg Queen calls Agnes, says that she has a surprise for her. So she wakes her up, and she says that you know she doesn't want to start without her. So Agnes gets up, you know, she sees like a shotgun hanging over like the fireplace, and so she grabs it. The cop dude is getting choked, and the queen says that it doesn't have to be like this. She's like, you and I at odds. And Agnes is like, what did you do? And she's like, I'm helping you. And Agnes like, like BS. And then she's like, okay, I'm helping us. So Agnes threatens the queen, you know, she threatens a shooter and you know, let the guy go. And she says that the queen says that she needs his body, but it's hers that she wants. So she says, Agnes is alone in every timeline, in every reality of this universe. Her fate is forever invisible, but she could change all that. She's like, imagine every thought cherished and shared with our minds joined as one, we could become more. And the queen says that, you know, she's the only one in the entire universe that has ever truly seen her. Agnes says that she's like, this has to end. And the queen's like, have your way, Agnes. She's like, I'm getting out of here. If not with you, then with him. So the camera focuses on the shotgun and then so she shoots. Soong is like looking at the stuff and he's like, it can't be. The readings now show substance stable efficiency rate for Soong core, Soong comma core, 100% effective. So he takes core outside. There's like a bunch of like drones or like some electro netting or something, you know, blocking the UV, I guess. So she asked him like where he got the stuff. And he said that a colleague had a breakthrough. So he, and he's like, oh, I, I, you know, I tried it. I checked it on myself. And she's like, oh, I, I trust you, whatever. So she injects herself. And then he starts to turn off the drone netting thing. So Shun signs, shines on her face. And then she kind of laughs and she jumps in the pool, swims a bit. She's like, oh, I almost got the hang of it and everything. So she gets out and she's asked him who his colleague was. But before he can answer, she starts getting like a sharp pain in her head. And her skin around her eyes starts like getting, there's like red lines because it's probably from like the poison, whatever, you know, blood starting to poison. And she like falls in pain. You know, he reaches for control, turns the drone drones on. And, you know, she's like choking, convulsing. So then we see Rios, Rafi, and Seven. They teleport back onto the ship. Agnes um, has like blood and like goo or something like on her. And she's, she's like, right away, she's like, oh, it's not mine. But she thinks that she killed their only way home. 
And then you can see the Borg Queen is just kind of like hanging, you know, slightly tilted forward. And then they see the cop dude lying on the table. Agnes says that the Queen was killing him and, you know, he's all right now. She repaired most of the internal organs. And Rafi's like, most? And Agnes like, yeah, his spleen's in a box over there. So she says that she hated shooting her organic tissue, you know, at the base of the cerebellum. That's all it took. And she's as vulnerable as they are. And Seven's like, there are billions who disagree. I think she said billions. Is that how many DeBorg would have taken? So Agnes says that they have to get the cop to his car. So Talon and Picard, they arrive through one of her portals. And she asks if the others can be trusted. And he's like, oh, with no question. And then they see them dragging what they think is a dead cop out of the, out the door. And Picard's like, oh, he's like, I'm sure he's not dead. He's like, there has to be some exclamation. Soon watches Core sleep again on the couch and cues behind him. And he's like, do you have the cure, the real cure, not something that wears off? Because if you do, I'm a hostage to you, sir. Q says, we're all hostages to what we love. The only way to truly be free is to love nothing. And how meaningless would that be? But then like, what does, or what or who, who does Q love? So he says that he has what she needs and Soon asks, he's like, well, what do you need? And he says that he discovered of late that he has certain limitations. So he wants Soong to remove an obstacle for him. And he asks if the name Picard means anything to him. So I don't know if he wants him to take out Rene. He's like, it was like, oh, I want you to kill this person. That seems pretty extreme. Maybe, but whatever. Um, Rafi tries talking to Picard about how his new friend looks almost exactly like. He's like, yes, yes, I know, because he looks like like Laris. And then she, um, she's like, doesn't that make you feel a little kind of creepy? He's like, yes. She's like, okay, good talk. So they um, watch some of uh, Q and Renee's therapy session picard mentions that he's trying to get her back to back out of the mission he thinks what they experienced firsthand was a consequence of her not being on a mission so rio asks so this great aunt of yours could single-handedly prevent our future from becoming a xenophobic tyranny and he's like how and picard says he doesn't know history of this time period is wildly incomplete the century leading up to first contract was rife with chaos so all that's down about Renee is she discovered a microorganism on Io that she believed was sentient and convinced the mission commander to bring it back to Earth. Rio says that they just need to make sure that she gets on the ship. And Picard says that they're going to the gala to watch over her and assess her every move. Talon says, with an invisible hand. He's like, they don't reveal themselves or make contact. Picard says it might feel Q is playing with them, but he is unpredictable and a threat. Talon says that they have another problem. They weren't invited. So Rio's like, well, can't we just transport in? And Talon's like, it's not that simple. It's a maximum security function. Each guest is issued a radio frequency, like an appendant thing, a radio frequency invite that corresponds to a database of their entire life history. Once inside, facial recognition takes over. So even if they could materialize six people in the middle of the dance floor, they'd be busted immediately. So they can't transport in if they're not in a database. Well, Agnes is like, so we hacked the database. She's like, it'll take me two seconds. She's like, I took intro to anti-coding in school and I'll finally get to use it. Talon, Talon's like, well, you can't reach it remotely because they physically isolated a database from the network. So Agnes calls that air gapping. It's primitive, but effective. It was also in a class. So Rios, Rafi, and Seven are a little unsure about sending in a roboticist in first instead of them. But Picard says that, you know, he has a plan. So Agnes is in line. 
her passport pops up on the screen and it kind of flickers a bit. So did the dudes ask for like another form of ID. So she holds up like a driver's license or picture and she like smiles. She goes in and then she's like, I have eyes on Renee. So Renee is leaning against the bar. She's looking at this like rocket launch footage that's playing on like on a screen. Uh, she thinks about being in the simulator, you know, and then she just takes a shot of, you know, whatever she's drinking. So Agnes is working her way in. She jams a signal and then security sees that she's talking herself. They're like, oh, we might have a party crusher, you know, what woman in red. So she grabs a bottle off a waiter's tray, but then a, a security dude escorts her away. And then she's like handcuffed to the chair, like both arms. This other lady there, she's like, why is she handcuffed? And the dude's like, he, she's a trespasser. So, you know, he's then he's like, some, some guy said to get her prints or whatever like that. So he's just being cautious. But so Agnes says to the other, she's like, it worked. She's like, I'm inside the surveillance room. And then she starts getting a flashback to when she shot the board queen. So um, she's still moving. And Agnes gets closer to the cop and then. Uh, she gets like a weird feeling and she's like, what's happening to me? The board queen says inside you, I'm part of you. You didn't think you could let me into your brain without feeling some sort of, and she's like, no. And she's like, together we could be so much more. And then she like pulls back, you know, cause she grabbed Agnes's hand. So Agnes pulls her hands back and she's like, we're nothing together. And the queen says that she needs her to get home. So she's like, how will you survive without me? And then she kind of like caresses Agnes's cheek but then probes like pop out of her fingernails, or whatever, and like jabs into her and Agnes's face starts glowing green. So we can see the board queen like sitting next to Agnes with her hand around her shoulder, but obviously she's not really there. And she's like, so she's the board queen is in Agnes's head somehow. And she's like captured on purpose, clever little plan. And then Picard calls out to Agnes since she's been silent. It's like, Agnes, you know, what's, what's, what's going on? What's happening? And then that's where it ends. So, yeah, that's not good for Agnes. You had no idea what's going to happen. But it is interesting. You know, I, I would like to see more of Renee. Uh, but obviously, you know, there, there can't be any interaction with her. Well, maybe. You never know. But, it will, it will, yeah. So, I don't know if we're, what we'll find out. And it'll be interesting to see, like, what is Soong supposed to do? Is he supposed to kill her? Just, does he want Soong to kill her or Picard? Probably her. It's like, I don't even know if Q knows that Picard and the others are there. Because this probably happened before their future, obviously. So he might not be aware that, that they made it there. So that could be to their advantage. All right. And now for Morbius. So this is, there's more after this. This isn't the, the main feature. So Morbius um, was not great. Sad to say. So the budget was $75 million. It's um, which I guess that's pretty cheap. I mean, I guess it makes sense. You know, it didn't really need a whole lot. Uh, to, to you know whatever uh it's expected to make uh 40 to 50 million in the weekend so i guess that's a good thing for that but man uh, so i i've kind of mentioned my my thoughts on morbius you know i'm not super crazy about the character from the comics i don't understand why they thought it would be a good idea to make a movie of him you know I, you know, they're making Craven a hunter, even Craven a hunter. While I'm like that, I don't know how to, you know, he's a, I'm more interested in Craven a hunter, but still, I don't think that's going to be, would be a great movie, but it, I could be wrong. And, you know, it all depends on what they do with it and so forth. So to make a movie with Morbius, it just seems weird. And as you know, before going into it, you know, I didn't want to be biased or, you know, anything like that. Cause you know, 
I thought maybe this could be the chance to do something a little different because, you know, Morbius is basically like a vampire. We really haven't seen any vampires. We know we're going to get Blade later. Could they do something? Maybe, maybe not, you know, because are they different universes? You know, the whole Sony Marvel different things there. But with uh, multiverse and stuff like that, obviously they could open things up if they really wanted to. So um, I was like, maybe this could be a chance to do something a little different. So while it is Marvel, it's not deeply rooted in, it's not in the MCU proper. So just kind of how like uh, the same way that Venom and and (laughs) Carnage are are not in the MCU. They're in some parallel Earth, whatever. So it just it's it's really too bad because you know Jared Leto you know he he can do a good job and and you know his performances and his movies and shows or whatever because you know I, I don't remember if I talked about we crashed I watched the first two episodes but I still haven't watched the third and I think the fourth episode's out now because uh yeah they dropped the first three to first week and I only watched two you know it's an interesting story I feel, I feel like I talked about it I don't know if I was just talking to the different you know people about it but with this and you know and the, the movie also has matt smith you know matt smith is, is great you know and I, I loved uh last night soho which i just recently we rewatched. but this movie uh, while i wasn't super crazy about the idea you know there could be some some potential here unfortunately it just it it falls a little flat you know if, if i'm being totally honest and you know i don't want to be negative nancy or anything like that but while parts of the movie were kind of interesting and that might be a bit much say interesting i was just like really bored at times and i I felt like the whole like outline or structure of the story was was extremely predictable and and yes a lot of these movies are predictable you know you kind of know how it's going to fall into place but this was almost like just a classic you know it just it just you knew what exactly was going to happen you know, from the kind of like the moment it started, like you can kind of see, and maybe maybe not the exact moment the movie started, but you can kind of see where this is going. And uh, I feel like Matt Smith's character is just wasted here. So, you know, here we have the opportunities like, hey, do you want to be a Marvel character? And, you know, maybe, I don't know if he saw what was his character was about and what would happen. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Or whether it's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I want to be in a Marvel movie. I'll, I'll give it a shot. But I, I just feel like the, the character was such a waste. The most interesting parts of the movie were the mid-credit scenes. There's two mid-credit scenes. There's a mid-credit scene, then a little more credits, and then another mid-credit scene, and then the rest of the credits. It was kind of weird how they did it that way. They didn't do mid-credit end. There's no end. It's just two mids. But, yeah, so that seemed like the, the, those two little scenes were kind of more interesting than the whole movie. What I did like about the movie, and I'll, I'll get into some specifics, and some I'm going to do some spoilers, but what I I kind of liked the way the movement happened, and, and like the the kind of fighting and the flying whatever, where it's kind of like these streaks of colors, you know, streaming off of them. So it's like almost like they're not really solid; they're kind of getting a little like you know, not smoky, but you know what I'm saying. So that was kind of neat. But then it almost started like at a lot of times it was like borderline too much cg where you know especially like when there's some fights going on like that and it's just like is a bit much where yeah at one point like uh you see like going from human face to vampire face human face vampire face it was just it was too much so here's a gist of the story with and again there's gonna be some spoilers uh 
yeah spoilers not complete spoilers although i feel like need to talk about the end maybe we'll spoil that so just be aware there's gonna be some spoilers there's gonna be a lot of spoilers here so it starts off we see uh michael morbius he's like he's a kid he's like 10 years old and and you know he's has this blood illness and he's in this uh like hospital private hospital thing and then he becomes friends with this other kid who goes there but then because michael's so smart the doctor's like oh there's a school in new york for gifted youngsters i'm like what that is a different school so he's gonna go and then he's separated from his his new friend but then you know we we they they focus a lot about on his friend well not a lot but like after he leaves you know michael left him this note and after he reads like the note flies out the window so he goes to get it and you know he's kind of like on crutches and and that you know he's the 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 blood diseases makes him weak and you can barely walk and it's like that there's this group of bully kids of course that sit outside the hospital and laugh at them and i don't even know how they can see them so they they found a letter of course and are reading it it's like i guess they just happen to randomly pick up any flying fluttering piece of paper and you know, so the kid Milo wants his back, and you know, so it's like all this stuff going deep into. There's got to be a reason we're seeing so much about this Milo kid. So then it cuts like 25 years later. You know, Michael Morbius, um, he's supposed to get the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, because he's super smart. But you know, he it doesn't matter about that. But he's working with like synthetic blood. He's doing all this stuff, and it's not quite working. So he decided to get a bunch of vampire bats because he wants to like merge the dna with his own you know to see if that can help because it has something to do with like blood coagulation and and stuff like that so in order to or because they, they they test it on a rat and a little cute rat the rat dies it doesn't work but then and that ends up coming back to life so it does work so he wants to do human um testing and he has this girl, this doctor girlfriend, and I'm surprised she goes along with it when he, once he says that he wants to do, you know, human trials on himself. But I guess you know that's the only way to do it. And be, because it's so completely unethical, they're gonna have to go to international waters. So they hire like this huge freighter, which is pretty sketch. And it's like, well, one, how do you randomly call like a a, a freighter that's willing to take you out there? And then somehow they made like a makeshift lab on the freighter. So it's like, how much time, you know, time did this take? So, you know, he, he gives himself, this is a scene that was released, uh, like the two minutes where he, he basically changes and then starts fighting a bunch of the merc. This freighter is run by a bunch of gun toting mercenaries who just decide they're going to like shoot whoever. So Michael finds out he's cured. He's taken synthetic blood that because basically if he doesn't take any blood, he's going to deteriorate back to his normal state. So he can survive on a synthetic blood because at first it's like six hours and it's like dwindling down to four hours. So it, you know it's it's not a permanent solution. His friend Milo, meanwhile, he, somehow he's like this rich benefactor and everything, and you know he's still suffering from his disease. When he finds out that Michael is cured, he's mad because he wants to be cured too. But Michael's like, it's it's not safe. You know, it, it's not complete. There's still this issue. You know, the the, the blood and everything like that. So he, it, Milo, who's Matt Smith, he ends up stealing some of the the cure to inject himself. So now he's going to have these vampire powers too. 
Now, the difference is Michael apparently is a good guy. And, you know, when, when he, I guess, goes full vampire, he kind of blacks out. Because when he dispatched the dudes on a freighter, he had no recollection of that. And he looks at, like, the like CCTV footage, and he's kind of, like, horrified of what he did. So he ends up, like, wiping out all the footage and, like, you know, disappears. You know, he calls, like, as he calls in, like, the Coast Guard or whatever to, to get them, and then he takes off. But Milo, he's like the opposite and i guess his thing is he's suffered his whole life and he hasn't been able to do anything so now he's like he's got the tools that he needs to do what he wants like he goes out to this bar tries picking up this this lady even though she has a boyfriend and um almost gets in a fight but whatever you know won't go into that so and and then with the hunger he has no problems killing people and this one nurse gets killed. Michael thinks he did it. And the police think he did it. So he gets arrested. And and it just goes from there. So basically, it's this conflict between Michael Morbius and Milo. And you, you kind of know where it's going to go. And it was just, it's, it was just it was disappointing that, you know, there is this potential. Like I said, there's some kind of cool moments like with the movement and like seeing... Michael like first uses power like his echolocation and you know different things like that, but it's just it just got to be a bit much and yeah I I feel like I shouldn't spoil anymore, but it's just it wasn't that it didn't feel like I I mean I I'm at a loss of words, but it's like it could have been I'm trying to think could it have been more I mean there there's not a whole lot to the character that that's part of the problem, but. It just it seems so cliche, you know. These two dudes, they're like brothers, and then they're at odds with each other. So they're gonna have to fight because they don't agree with them. I mean, because obviously Milo went to the dark side. He was like his brother. <laughs> oh man! But then, um, if you saw the, the first trailer, you might be like, "Hey, how come you haven't said anything about Michael Keaton? You know, isn't the Vulture supposed to be in this?" But if you also think about it, they, they must have retooled. I don't know what they're thinking because how could Michael Keaton be in this if Michael Keaton is technically like in a Marvel universe because he's in with like Tom Holland. But then these, so these are going to be spoilers. So with the, with the mid credit scenes, basically what happens is Adrian Toomes when I, I don't even, it doesn't even make sense how this happens. So, Spoilers from Spider-Man when the multiverse whatever is weakened and you know people are going over into the Marvel universe, the MCU. Somehow, Adrian Toom went the opposite way. I have no idea why this would even affect him because people were going to the MCU as people who knew that's that Spider-Man was Peter Parker, right? That was the whole point. So why would Adrian go in the opposite direction? And is it he he? ends up in like a jail cell and then he gets freed somehow he gets a a vulture suit so i don't know if there's a vulture in this earth or if he just made it somehow so like how much time passed by but then basically he finds morbius how the heck does he find morbius or even know that he's worth contacting and he basically says they should team up and because uh, there's issues with Spider-Man. But it's like, I don't think Spider-Man exists in this world. Or maybe he, because yeah, I don't know. 
But as as much as that doesn't make sense, that was still a lot more interesting than, than the rest of the movie, which is just too bad. I don't know. Uh, it was just, I don't know what happened. And uh, I, I, I almost think I like let there be carnage more than this because at least you know with tom hardy tom hardy made things interesting and entertaining and and funny and woody harrelson he was you know i hated the the character cletus cassidy in any format so but at least that was a little more interesting um if even though it was a little over the top but man this this movie so is it worth watching (sighs) barely uh you know it just depends if you're like a Marvel fanatic. If, if you watch everything, I feel like you, you should watch it. If you like Spider-Man, if you're interested in the comics or curious about Morbius, you know, there are some, some cool moments and, you know, it's, it's Jared Leto, you know, Matt Smith, they, they do a good job considering what they have, but it was, it was just disappointing. And, and maybe we've just been spoiled because the Marvel movies pretty much have been pretty good, like across the board. You know, maybe there's been a couple little hiccups, but this was a big hiccup. This was like a belch, or like a, or this was just like a little bit of like throw up in the back of your throat that you end up swallowing again. <laughs> maybe, maybe that I don't know if that's a little too harsh. Is there any anything good with like almost? Maybe it's good because you didn't fully throw up. I, it's not going to be good. It's not like you're going to throw up a little bit. Like oh, that's that reminds me of the dinner I had. That was kind of that's kind of gross. I think I should move on. So. It was just, it was unfortunate because, yeah, there's that. So let's just, uh, let's just move on. So our main feature is going to be Moon Knight. Uh, this, this won't be, you know, this will be kind of shifted to like a regular just TV feature in the, the next five weeks. But um, I, I kind of feel like it it should be. The, the main feature because like if Morbius was you know I would definitely have done it so as you know I I love Moon Knight and um I can't really explain why I mean besides the fact that I think he's just a really cool character and what I what I the reason I, I guess is when I first started reading comics and I, I feel like I've, I've said this before maybe but I just remember first discovering a comic store as a kid and just the glory of the back issue bins and, and the back issues were so cheap back then. Like they were maybe, you know, you could get them for, you know, under a dollar maybe, or, you know, maybe a couple dollars. And I don't know, you know, I had my allowance. I don't know how I afforded so many com- I mean, comics were, you know, 60 cents, 75 cents, a dollar or whatever compared to now. So I was able to get, you know, enough of the current issues. And then I would, would always be picking the back issue bins. And I, I got a lot of Spider-Man comics I don't remember when. I don't actually know what the first Moon Knight comic was. It might have been. Um, I I don't know the issue number. It might have been one with um, Jester. I also remember an issue of Amazing Spider-Man with Moon Knight in a sarcophagus on the cover, and I thought that was really. So I don't think that was my first experience with Moon Knight. It might maybe it was, and then maybe that that made me like start picking up the Moon Knight issues. But what I, what I think I, I liked about Moon Knight is he tended to be like, he kind of ended up being under the radar. You know, everyone, while I loved Spider-Man and Batman and Superman, you know, all, all the big characters, Green Lantern, you know, all these, Moon Knight felt like more the unknown. And somehow 
brilliantly, I guess, at a young age, I was able to realize how cool Moon Knight was. And again, he is nothing like Batman, so let's not even go there. But there's just something that was really cool about him. And and so I just started, you know, getting more and more of the back Moon Knight back issues. And then, you know, the series ended, and then we got like Fist of Kant Shoe, and then you know, that that eventually ended. And it's just, just like this cycle. So it's like I kept getting Moon Knight comics and then they would end, and we'd get another one and it would end. So I've always, you know, thought he was just this cool character and I kind of gravitated more towards that because, you know, I didn't want to, I I guess, you know, I wanted something a little different. Like when I, especially like when I decided to get a Moon Knight tattoo or, you know, my, my very first tattoo was Mike Allred's Madman, the exclamation bolt. And I was like, you know, this is something that not everyone knows what it is. So it's a little more unique, something that it could be like mine, like my favorite thing. So Moon Knight is mine. So all you people that think you like Moon Knight, he was mine first, right? Because that's my show. I can say that. He's not mine. Um, so, like, when I decided to get that tattoo, you know, I really like the design, you know, so it's from one of Declan Shelby's covers, you know, Moon Knight. Uh, you've, you've probably seen my tattoo, or if not, I'll, I'll send you a picture, I'll show you. I posted it, you know, different versions a couple times, whatever. So, I thought this was was cool to, to have uh, on there, but it's like, I would never, as much as I love, like, Spider-Man and Batman you know, those are like my, my main favorite characters. I wouldn't get like a Spider-Man tattoo. And I think because, um, he's just so mainstream that it would just seem weird. You know, like I, part of me is like, I, I don't know why I'm going on and on about that. I should just shut up and talk about Moon Knight. But it's like, I, I thought about getting like super, uh, Captain America shield, like on my, my arm. But then I was like, um, then maybe people would think I'm like, a, you know, super Patriot freak or something like that not super patriot like a super like a patriotic freak or something what is that what i'm trying to say so anyways i i really like moon knight now with this the series that being said because you know i like moon knight so much obviously i mean i was always kind of cautious and you know oscar isaac being cast that was great news you know because that 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 to me that puts some um that shows that Marvel's putting some faith in, into this, that, you know, they're going to use a really great actor into this, in this role. You know, you're not just going to, you know, they're not just casting anyone. They're investing in this, this role by making it a, such a, a great actor. You know, this big actor. Everyone knows, should know who Oscar Isaac is, but watching it. So it's a, okay. It's a, a little different. And, you know, when you're seeing certain things, it's, I was just like a little hesitant. It's like, wait, how is his costume just magically forming around him? And that seems to be like a Marvel thing. I don't know if DC really does it. But, you know, the whole like Star-Lord's, um, Star-Lord's helmet, uh, Star-Lord's helmet, what it was like, like Iron Man's helmet, Black Panther's helmet. <laughs> like everyone has this like magic technology that just goes, it just like forms. It's like nanoparticle. I don't, I don't even understand it. So then it's like Moon Knight's doing it. And I get why they do it because it's just easier than like, oh, wait, hang on. I need to like, oh, he's got to pull on these pants, these tights and and where's my cape at? You know, but we'll, we'll see about that. So um, I should I just get it? So I really, really liked it. I, I think there's a the way they presented certain things. And, you know, we do have the, the multiple identities, which are they're playing it a little differently. You know, this isn't like a this is not an origin episode at all you know we we don't really it is i guess but not really you know it's not like moon knight number one where he's 
you know, fighting Bushman and then dying and getting revived by Kanchu and all. It's it's not that. There are some interesting things um, with Stephen Grant like blacking out, which I think what makes it kind of you know it it fully gives impression of his fighting ability, like what he's capable of. But it's also very convenient for them because they don't have to fully choreograph these scenes. It's just like, boom, all of a sudden something happened and, and Steven has no idea, but you just see like the aftermath, like bodies lying there. So I thought that was kind of clever. Obviously they, they can't do this throughout the whole series. Cause you know, we're going to definitely see some action, but I, I, I for this episode, I thought it was kind of cool the way they handled it. But uh, my overall reaction before I, I'm going to do full, full spoilers, like I do with the TV shows um, watching it, as excited as I should be, and I watched it twice. You know, I stayed up. I watched it at midnight, even though I had to work the next day. You know, I, I sat there and watched it, and then like almost like twenty four hours later, is like maybe ten o'clock later. You know, so Wednesday, I watched it again, and you know, I I, I do like it. It was was great. You know, I enjoyed it, but I think you know maybe that it's not the most. Um, upbeat show i think because there's just like this unknown so there's kind of this feeling so it didn't feel fill me with like this moment like excitement and happiness or something because he's like you know there's like something so there's all that okay so what happened episode how to go so episode 101 is the goldfish problem (laughs) and the interesting thing actually i'm getting distracted again so before the episode aired Marvel release Marvel Studios released a poster with like a fish and a like a kind of like a blender. Um, it's like a, the you know it has a hand a blender thing with the handle. I don't know what it's, it's called. Whatever. And um, when I saw this, I'm like, what's why what's with the gulf? And, you know, my immediate thought was there's a fish in a percolator. You know, Twin Peaks. So I was like, it's like, no, it has as like, no, that hasn't can't have anything to do with that. And I was looking at the comments, and I feel like I'm totally missing something. But a lot of people were saying Mephisto. What does Mephisto have to do with fish? I did I miss something? Did Mephisto ever talk to anyone as a fish through a fish? Does he like fish? I. I, there has nothing to do with Mephisto that I know of. There is no, I don't know. People are like, like, Oh yeah, I know Mephisto reference when I see one. I'm like, really? I'm like, no, that is Gus. That is Gus to fish. That is not Mephisto or it was Gus. All right. The goldfish problem. It starts off. We see a dude with like a scale, like the, the kind of like the justice scales, like a tattoo on, on a wrist. He has a drink. Um, I think it was, uh, I think it was a Bob Dylan song, like "Grain of Sand" or, or something like that, or whatever. But he had, um, he puts the, the glass in like this rag thing, and he smashes it. He has this like metal cane, well, it has like a metal handle, and then he takes the broken glass and he deposits in his shoes. He has like wicker shoes or something like that. He puts in his shoes, like, and he steps in there barefoot and starts walking. <laughs> it's like, ugh. And that was Ethan Hawke, obviously, or not obviously, but that's who it was. So then um, we see uh, Stephen Grant. Oscar Isaac. He wakes up. His leg is attached to like a cable in his bed. There's like kind of like a circle of sand around his bed. He, he gets up, you know, because he like puts one foot in there, leaves a footprint, whatever. He goes to the door. There's like tape on a door, like sealing the door. It's, it's still in place. So he, he pulls it off, you know, balls it up, 
then he talks to his mom you know he leaves is leaving her message says he got her postcard um and stuff like that he feeds his fish gus the one finned wonder so gus has like one fin and then he's he talks about that when he wakes up every you know every morning he feels like he got hit by a bus or something like that so it's not fully explained like why does he have the tape why does he have the sand why does he have this the strap on there so obviously maybe I, I i assumed it's like does he sleepwalk or something like that so you know he's trying to take all these precautions that you know whatever that we know of he goes outside some there's like a broom salesman outside his door and, and he's he has a you know he's in london he has an accent and he's like oh it's like oh yes you're selling brooms outside my door that's so you know it's like he can barely get out he has to walk around this little cart whatever so he's still talking to his mom and he's like later's gators <laughs> Later's gators. I don't know. There's something that's so funny when he says that. And he sees he like has to run after he, the bus goes by, so he almost misses. But he does get on there, and he's like falls asleep on some dude's back. And then uh, he goes to the museum. Um, he catches his girl putting like garbage in a pyramid of Giza display, and he knows a lot about all the stuff. You know, he like told, takes her to other place and says all the stuff like that. And then um, his supervisor, Donna, gives him like some stuff to carry. And she's like, you're not a bloody tour guide. So he he works in a gift shop. And she's like very rude to him and like almost like demeaning in, in a way. It's like almost not quite abusive, but whatever. And so she's mentioned something about inventory. This other woman comes up to him. She's actually a tour guide. And she's like, oh, we still on for seven tomorrow. It's like best steak in town. And he's like confused. He's like, are you asking me out? And she's like, oh, you're funny. And then Donna overhears, and then, you know, that he's got a date with her. And then she's like, did she say steak? And she's like, what's a vegan going to eat at a steakhouse? And he's like, I don't know, Donna, salad, bread? And Donna's like, oh, yeah, I can see why she went for it. She's like, a real catch you are. So she's just, like, so mean to him. So they're doing some, like, sort of, like, inventory stuff or whatever. And then he there's, like, this poster, and he's, he's talking about the, the banners outside and the posters. He's talking about the Egyptian gods, that there's only seven of them there, and there's supposed to be more. And she's like, she just wants to hear it. She's like, it's like you're not going to be a tour guide. And he's like, that hurts. But, you know, he's, like, he's trying to ex- explain this stuff like that. But then she's like, oh, why don't you just, just leave? And she's like, just go, get away from me. So he walks out. He goes past like the security guard and he's like, Good night, Scotty. He's like, Oh no, no, it's Steven. You know, so no one really knows his name and, and stuff like that. He eats this like light dinner and he uh is talking to the street performer, uh dude who's like he's painted gold and he's sitting still like a statue. Um the showrunner said that this is a reference to Crawley. So if you've read the Moon Knight comics, you know, one of Jake's friends, you know, is a homeless guy named Crawley who was like an informant, would find out information, pass it along to Jake and so forth to help Moon Knight out and everything like that. So apparently this is supposed to be Crawley, I guess. But uh, Steven's like having this conversation with him and telling him like all his stuff or everything like that the dude never says anything never moves because he's sitting like a statue like a gold statue because even some people come up and ask if he could take their picture for him or, or stuff like that so he but then he you know he, as he's talking he says that you know if he's going to have a girlfriend at some point you know he can't really have ankle restraints can he? he's like that's the definition of a red flag isn't it and then, and then he's like okay you know after he finishes eating he's like i will see you on the flip-flop <laughs> it's just the way he talks is funny so it's like is this his only friend or whatever so it's just kind of sad so he gets home, he pours more sand on, on the floor around his bed to kind of cover that footprint, whatever. Puts a new piece of tape up, 
hooks up the, the ankle restraints and he's listening to some like stay awake audio thing it's like it's talk about doing puzzles you know he's got a rubik's cube and um like you know read a book or something like that and it keeps cutting like this you know different things like the message or it, it starts over again and then you know like the last he's, he's like you see this in a, in a trailer where he's like tossing the rubik's cube like we're like looking over him the rubik's cube's like going towards the camera and then suddenly he's like lying in the grass and he's like, he like lifts his head up. It's kind of like freaky looking because it's like his jaws dislocated. And he's like, he like moves it, like kind of like pops it back in place. And he's like, that was weird. And then um, he's like, what happened? So he's in the like the countryside um, by mountains, and there's like a village nearby. And a voice tells him, go back to sleep, worm. So this is F. Murray Abrams, and uh, he's he like looks around. There's like no one there. And then you hear, you're not supposed to be here. And he's like, yep, I completely agree. And then, so he's he's like, where are you? And the voice is like, surrender the body to Mark. So Mark Spector, obviously. And he's like, what? The body? What body? And the voice is like, ugh, the idiot's in control. So this, let's pause right here. You know, because he says the idiot's in control. So obviously we know there's different personalities. And... um we don't know a hundred percent at this point if Jake Lockley is going to appear, but since he's calling Steven the idiot, he's and he's talking to him, so he knows it's not Mark because he says surrender the body to Mark. So there must he must not know. So there must be someone besides Mark and Steven. Okay. So then um, he he looks in in his pocket and there's like a gold scarab there, and then he we we kind of see like this big bandage or cloak figure behind him with the staff but then um you know we don't see the, the whole thing he like spins around but then there, no one's there but behind him there's like this big villa and there's like a dude that comes up in the window and he kind of like waves to him and or he he, he waves to him the guy like kind of confused like kind of waves back then this other dude comes up too and he he has a gun he, he starts shooting at him he tells the other guy so they both start shooting and then the voice is like don't just stand there run so they they you know, now they're chasing him. You know they they got down pretty quickly, and he runs down to the village. And there's like it seems like there's a bunch of other dudes there because they all have kind of like were they wearing like red shirts or something like that, like uh, maroon shirts. There's a bunch of other people, so they must all be together. So he like pulls on his like his his hoodie, and um, and he starts like trying to blend in with with the others. Then a guy with long hair, so Ethan Hawke, walks through the streets and people kind of like touch him as he passes. And he goes kind of like to the town center and he's like, oh, what a beautiful day. It's, it's like heaven, only we're not in heaven. It's a darkness. Sometimes it hides in our very hearts. So he's like, we are here to make the earth as much like heaven as possible. Then he's like, who'd like to go first? So this dude stands up. He's like, oh, you're a very brave man. And so he like, he holds his hands and he, he puts like the, the cane, like resting between his two arms, like on his wrist. And it kind of like sort of rocks back and forth. Then he's like, I judge you and Amit's name with, but a fraction of her power. And then his scale tattoo starts like teetering and moving. And it leans on one side. And he's like, this is the face of a good man. And Steven sees like more armed dudes. And then this lady goes next. And she's like, I must know. So she calls him Harrow, but he's like, oh, call me Arthur. So he's like, well, you accept the scales, whatever. So does the same thing, holds her hands, rocks the, the cane, and then it turns red. And he's like, sorry. And but she's like, I've been good my entire life. And he's like, 
I believe you. He's like, this, but the scales see everything. Perhaps it's something that lies ahead. He's like, Amit has decided. Um, so then she she kind of like withers a little bit, or you know, she kind of goes gray, and then she like falls back. So so she's dead. So then the guard comes up to Harrow. He's like, there's a problem with the exchange. He's and so apparently he killed two of their men. And Harrow's is like, is he still here? And um, so then he uh, Harrow says something in Egyptian. Everyone bows except for Stephen. He's like, oh, bugger. And then he like, or bollocks or something. Then he like bows down. Harold's like, you, I know you, mercenary. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm a gift shopist, shopist or something like that. He's like, Stephen Grant. And he's like, I'm trying to get back to London, London. And he's like, oh, I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> and then Harold asks about the scarab. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he, he like holds it out. And then uh, the voice is like, you will give him nothing. So he's holding the scarab in his hand, but then his, he clenches his hands around it. And he's like, oh, I'm not doing that. And he's like trying to pry open his, his fingers. And Harrow's like, he's not happy. He's not. And then he finally opens his fingers and grabs it with his other hand. And Harrow's like, I won't ask again. So he's holding it out. And then he swings his arm, like holds it like straight up in his back. So then he tries twisting around for him to take it. But then his feet start moving. He's like, like I'm not doing that. So, so some dudes grab him. And then they, they like swarm him. And then finally, uh, one guy uh, gets the, the scarab out of his hand. And then things kind of flicker a bit. And then we see Steven's face is all bloody. He has his hands up, like, you know, he's fighting. And, like, all the dudes, there's, like, four or five of them or something like that, are just lying on the ground. And, you know, his right hand's, like, super bloody. And the voice is like, no, the idiot's back. And then Harrow and a bunch of the, the townspeople start coming towards him. So he starts, like, moving away. But everywhere he goes, he's surrounded. Like, the whole town's after him. He jumps into this, like, cupcake van. <laughs> and then as he's driving away, like, whams wake me up before you go go starts playing which you know kind of makes me wonder well i'll say something at the end so he's driving down this like super windy road and the car there's like two cars chasing him and he there's like this truck with a bunch of chickens in front of him and he's like trying to get around he finally managed to get around it and there's an old lady and she's like holding up her middle finger and he's like oh he's like like that's lovely or something like that so then uh the dudes behind him start shooting. Uh, one dude like kind of jumps out of the car, opens up the back doors of the van, and gets in. Steven starts like throwing cupcakes at him, like smashes one in his, his face, and then the guy has a gun. Other car pulls up next to him, like uh, on his left, and they have guns like that. Things flicker a, a bit, and then Steven's like holding the gun now, and he like drops it. The front windshield shattered too, and then he looks behind him. The dude that came in is like dead. And he like falls out the black door or the, the back door. <laughs> so there's a, then there's like this truck with logs in front of him and it like it's skids and he, you know, he barely swears out of it. A bunch of logs start rolling, you know, fall off the, the back of it and start rolling down the hill. Two cars try blocking him in and then they're about to shoot. And then he flickers out again. And then when he comes back, like moment, you know, instantaneous, he's driving the van backwards and then one car, one of the two cars, for some reason, we don't know why, just drives off the mountain. It's just like, Kush. and then he, he, he's driving backwards, no no windshield. He throws a gun at the other car. Did you just throw a gun? And he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Then leave us be. So he like, you know, slams on a brake, whatever. The van stalls. The, the, the dudes get to get dudes get out of the car. They, they go in front of him. He raises his hands. 
they're about to shoot him and then logs knock the two guys like off just like slams into him and then he like kind of screams and he's like back in bed so it's like wait a minute was all this a dream so this is you know the whole thing maybe all this entire series is all gonna be in his head that would suck if that was the truth but you know why why when he's driving do they play wake me up before you go go you know and you know there's there's this i think there's something with the music you know that might let on something so you know he wakes up his leg restraint's still on he looks at the the door there's still tape on there and you know he takes it off he he goes to gus and he, you know, he says something about his dream and he's like i wonder what what fish is dreaming about but then he looks closely at gus he has two fins and he's like what the fish so this is where he he goes to the pet store with the the fish and like the blender craft thing or whatever and he's like yesterday that fish had one fin yeah <laughs> he's like now what do you see and she's like i see two he's like two fins he like says all he's like sorry <laughs> and she's like if you want to swap it fine but like i said yesterday that's all i have and steven's like he's like whoa he's like yesterday he's like what do you mean he's like i wasn't here yesterday and she's like you know like i said they've all got two fins she's like i don't care what that nemo movie says so obviously what we can deduce from this is if he was in this you know countryside or whatever having his adventures in the cupcake van how long was he gone you know so he so maybe gus died maybe he didn't get fed so he goes to the store to try to get another gus but they didn't have any other fish with one fin so he gets this other one but then, because then he looks at the clock, he's like, that can't be right. He's like, I just woke up. So it's like 5.05. And the sort of lady at the, the, the pet store, she's like, are you mad? She's like, the fish is wrong. The time is wrong. He's like, are you, you know, you're not quite right. And then he's like, oh, bugger. She's like, I've got a date. So he, he's back home, puts on like a tie and a coat, looks in his reflection. And what's interesting is, you know, there's like three mirrors, you know, looking back at him. And he's like, oh, I look like a knob. So then we see him waiting at the restaurant and like the you know waiter comes up and asks him, he's going to, you know, still waiting. Finally, he tries calling uh, the lady and she answers. She's like, oh, Punchy calling me now. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm in the restaurant for steak. It's steak time. And she's like, yeah, I ate steak by myself. Thanks. Two days ago. He's like, I thought you said Friday. And she's like, she's like, welcome to Sunday. He and he's and, you know, they talk some more. And she's like, just lose my number. And he's like, no, no. He's like, ask the waiter. He's like, what day is it? And he's like, Sunday, sir. He's like, no, no. And then he ends up ordering a steak for himself, like the best cut. And so I think he was a vegan. I think that's their thing before. So he just decides to order a steak. So he walks home and he has like flowers, chocolate flowers, throws the flowers in the trash. He's talking to his mom, leaves another message and later's gators again, goes back to his place, eats like the chocolate he bought. Um, he asks his fish if he wants some. He's like, oh, I'll give you some sprinkles. He's like, um, then he's like, look at me. He's like, if you're Gus, I'm the queen of Sheba. But then like some of the chocolate like, falls out. So he goes to pick them up. He sees some like scrapes on the floor by the table legs. And so he move, lifts up the rug, moves it. So he sees like where it stops. So he moves the table that way. And then he kind of looks and he sees like a loose wood panel on a wall. So he like checks, you know, the sturdiness table, climbs up, moves the, the, the wood panel. There's like a hidden compartment there. There's a phone and like a key in there. Um, some people, and there's like a U, like some sort of logo on the, on the U, on the keychain. Some people are like, that's a J for Jake, but it doesn't even look like a, like a car key it looks more like a locker key and and 
I don't think a cab driver would have like a, it just looked like a logo thing. So it, it's not J for Jake. I don't think. And he was looking through the phone. There's like tons of missed call, all from Layla, except missed call number 32 is by Duchamp. So if you know Moon Knight, Frenchie, Duchamp, that's he's, you can look him up. I'm not going to spoil it now, but hopefully we'll actually, I don't know if, if he's been confirmed, but hopefully he'll be in this. Then um, the phone rings from Layla and he answers and she's like, oh my gosh, like you're alive. And she's like, I've been texting you, calling you for months. And, and she's like, you know, you couldn't give any sign that you're okay. He's like, uh, I just found this phone in my flat. And she's like, what's with the accent? And then he's like, sorry. He's like, who do you think? Cause he's got his English accent. He's like, who do you think I am? And she's like, what do you mean? Who? She's like, what's wrong with you, Mark? Then he's like, what did you just call me? He's like, and she's like, who is this? And he's like, why did you call me Mark? And then she like hangs up. So he tries calling again, but then a voice is like Steven, but it's like different voice. So it's not the F Murray Abram voice. And he like looks around. It's like, you need to stop. You're going to get yourself into trouble. So he looks around. He like opens like the bathroom door and you know, it's dark in there and there's a mirror and the reflection kind of shakes his head. He turns on the light, but then it's just normal reflection. The lights kind of flicker a little bit and then you hear like, Steven, stop looking. And then the place kind of shakes a little bit. So he runs outside, gets in the elevator. You know, there's, there's like, of course, reflections all over the elevator. And then the elevator opens on three. And he, he's like, G, 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 G. He's trying to go to the ground. And then on two, he sees this big shadow down the hall. So it's, it's Kanshu. And he freaks out as it's like coming closer. And then he's like on the, in the floor in the corner. And this old lady gets on the elevator. And he's like cowering there. And he's like, uh, hiya. He's like, oh, I, I lost my contact lens. And she's like, oh, okay, whatever. And then he's like, oh, we back on the fifth floor? And she's like, she's starting to get scared now. She's, she's like, yes, I'm visiting my friend. She's expecting me. And she's like kind of like knocking on the door or whatever. And then um, Kanchu is behind him. Then we see suddenly Mark is on a bus, and you know he 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 lets out like a little scream. I think he lets out like a couple of screams. And then you know he looks at you know people are just like whatever, dude. You see Kanchu is like just standing like on the street as the bus goes by. He goes into the museum, or uh, so he he gets off the bus. He sees Harrow on the bus. And then he goes in the museum. He tells JB, the security dude, he's like, oh, I'm being followed. He's like, we need to lock the doors. And he's like, this is a museum. It's like, anyone can come in. So Donna comes up to him and, you know, he's, she's trying to like give him some stuff to carry, whatever. And he's just like, whatever. And then um, he sees someone. So I, I can't remember. I, I couldn't say I didn't pay, to, like, whatever. I should have like rewound it. I think he sees Harold and then he, he goes to look. And then Harold's like, so you really do? He's there. He's like, you really do work here? He's like, I assume Stephen Grant was an alias. Imagine my surprise to find you here. And then Stephen waves to the security guard, Ronnie. And he points to Harold. He's like, this man, he's been following me. And Ronnie like pulls up his shirt sleeve. He has a scales tattoo on his arm. And he's like, Ronnie, you're part of this? And then to, to Harold, he's like, mate, I don't have your bloody beetle. I swear, I... And then Harrow's like, the scarab doesn't belong to me. It belongs to her. And he points at his picture of Amit on a pillar. He's like, do you know Amit? He's like, not personally. He's like, you know, Egyptian deity, you know, the first you know, real boogeyman or bogeyman is who he says it. And Harrow's like, she was the only bogeyman for, for evil doers. And, you know, she grew weary waiting for sinners to commit their crime before punishing them. So her justice is past, present, and future. There are others in the museum that start coming up. They have tattoos too. They're, like, they're pulling up their shirt sleeves. So 
Harold starts talking about like her avatar and Steven mentions like, Oh yeah, I like the movie with the blue people. And then, then he's like, Oh, the avatar, the anime and stuff like that. Harold says, Steven, stop it. And Steven's like, Oh, are you going to kill me? And Harold's like, you know, maddening, isn't it? The voice in your head. He's like, you know, relentless, unsatisfied, no matter how hard you try to please it, it devours you until there's nothing left. So he pulls up his sleeve to show his tattoo and he grabs Steven's hands and Steven's like, I can't help you. And Harold's like, I'm trying to help you. So Harrow asks if he wants to know the truth. You know, he's got his his hand, the cane's resting there, it starts rocking, the tattoo's moving. We don't see what it does or what it shows, but he's like, there's chaos in you. And then Steven runs off. So it must have been good, must not have been bad, because otherwise he would have killed him right away, or however that works. So then, but then Harold's like, let him go. So something there. Then we see Steven doing inventory, and then, you know, he's by himself. The lights go off. He's like scanning things in. So it must be closing time. Then he's about to head towards the door, but he hears like a dog squealing. He's like, oh, there shouldn't be pets in here. So he starts start calling out to the dog. And this is a part where you see also one of the trailers where he walks past this, this glass case and his reflection kind of like hangs back, doesn't really follow him or something like that. So there's something up with that. Then he sees this big shadow around a corner. He like backs away and ducks behind a case. And then Harold goes on the intercom, Stephen Grant of the gift shop, give me the scarab and you won't be torn apart. So Steven's still hiding there. He like tosses his backpack and this like big dog creature like attacks it. And then he starts running. It starts chasing him. It has like long arms and legs. It's like just running like on the walls and everything. And he ends up in the bathroom. He like locks the door. So in this bathroom, there's like, you know, there's mirrors on both sides of the, like the sink area. And then the other voice is like, Steven, I can save us. And then one of his like, since there's mirrors on both sides, there's like the infinite reflection things. So one of his reflections moved to the side. He's like, but I can't have you fighting me this time. Then um, in a mirror behind him is reflection, you know, it's on, on the other wall. It's like, you need to give me control. Do you understand? And Steven stutters. He's like, control of what? He's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, that thing is about to break through the door. It's like, we're out of time. So Steven starts like slapping his face. He's like, oh, it's not real. Wake up, wake up. And reflection tells him, he's like, like, look at me. It's like, he's, you know, he's like, I'm real. And Steven's like, oh no. He's like, I'm going to die. And reflection's like, look at me. He's like, you're not going to die. Let me save us. And then he kind of like nods his head. Then like in the walls, you can kind of see like hieroglyphics, like kind of flickering on, on the walls in, in the bathroom and then the beast like bust through the door and then we see like from the hallway there's like all this chaos and stuff like that and then um it, it kind of like flies out and then uh then it, it gets pulled back in and then you see moon knight in there he's like just pounding on, on the beast or something like that and then he turns around and then the camera zoom, like goes in his face and then it's over so that's how we see a moon knight it's like that very last moment <sighs> I'm like I'm about out of breath now. So you know, very interesting approach, and you know, I haven't actually talked to any like hardcore Moon Knight fans. I I should because you know I've been talking about like all the influx of Moon Knight merch that has like suddenly popped up, and like trying to figure out like what I'm gonna get and not get and so forth. But um, so I'm okay with the changes. You know, I, I'm not, I think the thing I'm least super excited about is just the, the magic morphing costume. So if they're going to go with like Egyptian magic, God magic, I do whatever, 
fine. You know, it's, again, it's, it's convenient for him changing and not like, how do you carry a big, big cape around? You know, you have to have a big backpack or something like that. And is it going to be wrinkled or whatever? So that's fine. But it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I love the, the cut scenes, like the flickering back and forth and um, just how he's just so, un, you know, oblivious to this. And, and, you know, the question is like, what, what has Mark been doing before this? According to Disney Plus, you know, where does this take place? This is happening like right after. This is like current. You know, this is like the most up to date thing because it's, it's listed as after Hawkeye. So it's in the current timeline. But, you know, you have to wonder what else has Mark done before this? What has Moon Knight done before this? You know, has he been act? Obviously, this couldn't have been the first time Moon Knight appears. You know, he must have done other things. So I wonder when we see more of Moon Knight, if other people are going to know who he is and just no one's really said anything because maybe they've only only people who have been getting busted for doing bad things have seen him. But it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, my my one pr- other problem, I guess, is that this is only six episodes. So now we only have five more left. So, you know, I, I want this to keep going as long as possible, but I really hope it does well. Um, and I hope we do get more like as soon as possible because I really enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm happy with it. You know, it's, it's not a hundred percent perfect, but I think that's fine. And just like a, a lot of things, I, I think sometimes it's important to mix it up a little bit because if it was exactly true to the source material, then it's kind of boring. You know, it, it, it's, you know, you're going to know everything that's going to happen, even though, you know, you could almost argue, well, not really. I was going to say, you know, a lot of the Hawkeye was true to the Matt Fraction run that Matt Fraction, David Aha, but they did mix some things up and, you know, switch some things around. So it's not, you know, it's kind of the same thing where, you know, it is different. And there's other, you know, obviously the surprises and twists in Hawkeye were unexpected, you know. So I, I'm happy with this. You know, as, as a Moon Knight fan, I really, really, really enjoyed it. I would kind of debate like if if I were to rate it, which I don't normally do things, I couldn't get I can't give it a 10 out of 10 just because I'm super picky, you know, because I love the character so much. Um, At first, I was going to say like maybe like an eight out of 10 to be a little conservative, but I might might lean a little more towards nine, you know, just thinking about it because, you know, Oscar Isaac did a really good job. And and I really liked even though I feel like it's almost like a cop out, like not showing us all the action. But I did like how it just kind of flickered and it, it just really shows that sense of the unknown, you know, so it's like Mark has no idea what's going on and we're like there with them. We have no idea. It's like. This is what it was like for him. It reminds me a little bit also of Severance, which you know I love. So so I, I just find that really interesting. So I really enjoyed it. Um, I highly recommend it. You do not need to know anything at all about Moon Knight. You can just go and watch this. And, you know, there's going to be little things like the Do Champ, you know, name and, and the phone, little tiny Easter eggs here and there. I'm sure there's other. There is one thing. Um, I think it was in the museum. There was like a QR code. That if you scanned it, it would give you access to read Werewolf by Night 32 for free. So the first appearance of Moon Knight. So it's kind of cool that, you know, there's little things like that. I'm sure there's tons of other Easter eggs and stuff like that. Maybe there's others, maybe not tons. But I'm sure there's other stuff that I probably didn't catch or whatever. But it's a good show. So like I said, you don't need to know anything at all. So if you're into Marvel, you like Oscar Isaac, check Ethan Hawke, you know, definitely watch it. It's you enjoy to write. You don't need to know the history. You know, welcome 
to the Legion of Moon Knight fans because you, you are now going to be a Moon Knight fan after watching this. And with that, it is time once again to end the show. So thank you. Big thanks. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. So they are awesome. I, I deeply appreciate them. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to that secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I'm currently talking about 1987 Superman by John Byrne. And if you want some more, like not it's not Egyptian, but some mummy action, that's what's happening. Uh, there's a big giant mummy last week. So we'll have to see what happens. Superman might be dead. He's not. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So next week, um, there's going to be less TV, which I'm okay with. I mean, unless something else pops up, I have to you know, check if there's anything new starting. But, you know, Snowpiercer is over for the season. Um, Servant is over for the season. And then Superman and Lois isn't, on, isn't coming back till end of April. So I think we're just going to have The Flash, um, Severance, and then picard and then moon knight so that's that's enough the movie feature or i guess it's going to be sonic the hedgehog 2 i really want to see i forget the name of it everything and everywhere in between i don't understand why this movie hasn't opened wider because you know if x can open wide and and considering the the content of that you would think this movie I mean, it, this movie just looks a lot more, and especially with like it's multiverse stuff. I mean, you think it's a given people are going to want to see this, and it's Michelle Yeoh. People know who she is, so I, I was hoping that like, well, maybe I'll see that instead of Sonic. I, I do want to see Sonic. I don't feel like I need to see Sonic right away, but that looks like that's going to be the new movie feature because I don't think I don't know if the other. Yeah, we'll see. So one of those two, most likely Sonic, I think. And um, I guess with that, that that's that's it. There's nothing else. I, I'm trying to think of anything starting on TV. Um, but I hope you're doing well. I hope you have a great time. I actually have spring break, so I'm going to try to get some rest from, from, from teaching. But I hope you are doing some fun things. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're taking care of others. And I really hope you remember to be good to each other.